VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, September the 2nd. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's the producer of the Kamamathan edition of Open Line on this bit of an overcast, dreary, dark old Friday here in town, but we're looking forward to speaking with you. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211. Elsewhere, toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. Okay, so Friday of Labor Day weekend. Last kick at the proverbial cat over this three-day span before we get back to what always was will be a real change of pace. It's amazing how it all works. Of course, many of you, oh, I don't know how many of you have school-aged children, but back to school just brings upon that a little bit of flair. Come Tuesday, getting gapped up and revved up to get back into school. And I think adults, even if you don't have school-aged children, it just brings upon this different different mood or attitude as we get into the September days. Okay, so let's make it a safe Labor Day. You know, put on your seatbelt, put on your life jacket, watch your bobber. Let's not have any headlines telling tragic tales when we all come back here on Tuesday. So have yourself a great Labor Day. And there's a Labor Day special here on VOCM on Monday. Work, work, work. Greg Smith and Jim Payne. Looks and sounds really interesting. Some songs surrounding not only the labor movement, but working here in the province. So that should be fun. If you're so inclined as you're making your way back from the cabin on Monday, please do indeed join Greg and Jim. I just check in down in Pleasantville at the men's fast pitch nationals. So yesterday afternoon, Galway came out swinging against Manitoba. Beat them 10-0 for the 1 o'clock game. Colin Walsh, one hitter, uh, struck out five. Shane Ball and Bradley Ezekiel, or Ezekiel, homered for Galway. So a big day for the boys. And then they went on to play the other local entrant in the evening matchup against the Bigs, Physio, and Co. at the Caribou Complex. Galway, the hitmen, defending champs, 11-1 victory. They had the bats going again there in that game. Five home runs. Colin Walsh, Blair Ezekiel, Brad Ezekiel, Steve Mullally, Ryan Boland. And, of course, when Cleary's on the bump, he always got a chance to win. Only gave up two hits, struck out 13. Galway looking good to hold on. All right, I want to say thanks and congratulations to everyone involved with the real program that uh, raised some $11,000 to help children get involved in sport, recreation, art, and leadership programs. There was a lot of work done. I'll throw it out there again this morning. So Nick Finnegan and the folks at K-Rock in particular, they put together this Stanley Cup photo contest. People had a chance to meet uh, Alex and the Hook up close and personal with the cup, get a photo taken. So they raised $11,000. The real program wants to say a special thank you to the generosity of Blue on Water, O'Reilly's Irish New Flam Pub, the Rob Roy Pub, Shamrock City Pub, and Universal Corporate. They kicked in some pretty hefty donations. So congratulations to all involved to raise that $11,000. That's going to go a long way. And what's that? Oh, today marks the 50th anniversary of Game 1 of the Summit Series. So even if you're not a hockey fan, the Summit Series is something that people will think about and talk about and remember because it, it was historic. So Canadian professionals were not playing, for instance, at the World Championships. And the Soviet Union, they were dominating. So there was a big spat between Canada and the IIHF, the Federation for Internationalized Hockey. And so they stepped back and they said, well, let's have a best-on-best series. 
It was called the Super Series at one point, but we know it as the Summit Series. So it was going to be an eight-game matchup between the best Soviet Union hockey players and the best Canadian professional hockey players. The hockey writers at the time were saying, we're going to pound the Soviets. Game one in Montreal, not so much. The Soviets come out and ring our bell, 7-3. So there was four games in Canada, four games in Moscow a couple of weeks after they finished up in Canada. Soviets were up 2-1. There was a tie game in the first four. They were up 2-1 heading back to Moscow. In game eight, we were down by two goals heading into the third period. Scored three unanswered, including the very famous Paul Henderson goal to win the Summit Series. There's a fellow who listens to the show. He sent along this email this morning. He's a collector of memorabilia associated with the Summit Series. He actually has a puck that was used in game two in Toronto. There was only 50 pucks made for this Summit Series or used inside the four games in Canada, the Summit Series. He has one that was used in the game in Toronto, so that's amazing. We played Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, and Vancouver, so pretty cool stuff. And just think of some of the names. Some of the names that didn't get to play. Bobby Hall had signed with the WHA, wasn't on the team. Bobby Orr, who finished second in scoring the season before, he was hurt. Poor Bobby hurt all the time. He didn't play. And, you know, you hear Henderson all the time, but some of the names in the Hall of Famers, and even on the Soviet side, you know, the Harlamov and Vasiliev and Mikhailov, along with Clarky and Phil Esposito and up and down the line. It was just amazing stuff. Today, the 50th anniversary, game one of the Summit Series. Pretty good. All right. Shapovalov, through with the U.S. Open. If you want to watch Serena, she plays again today. She's up against it, but Bianca Andreescu is up against it as well, playing Caroline Garcia, who just won in Cincinnati. And Rebecca Marino, her third-round match is today. All right, let's look to the skies. We had Randy Atwood on the show earlier this week, who's terrific. I really enjoy speaking with Randy. He's our in-house space historian. We're talking about the Artemis 1 launch. The uh, schedule happened, was on Tuesday, but they scrubbed it because of a mechanical issue and some weather-related issues. Of course, at the Kennedy Space Center, Cape Canaveral, in Florida. So it's scheduled to happen tomorrow. We'll see what becomes of it. But there's a great story out there today to read about if you're so inclined. You know, why, why do they have the Space Center in lightning-hit-prone Florida? It leads the states almost every year about the most lightning strikes, and here they are with the Space Center right there in Lightning Valley, or Lightning Alley. Apparently, to uh, achieve optimum advantage, launching near the equator is a big deal when talking about the Earth's rotational speed. Wow. Anyway, I bring that up because it was today in history that the United States and Russia, wow, the United States and Russia agreeing on something, they agreed to cooperate to build the International Space Station. That was in 1993. Moving on. The first ATM, and I'll bring this up for a specific purpose too. The first ATM in the United States was installed at Rockefeller Center in New York City, 1969. Moving on to today. Look, we use a lot of things that are automated, and robots have replaced a lot of jobs. We all know these stories and how they're moving so quickly. But when you go to the shop and there's an opportunity to go to the self-checkout, people use them. You know, in an effort for convenience and speed, people do indeed use the self-checkout. Some companies in particular are moving very, very quickly towards, looks like, replacing all the human beings up front at the till and maybe only self-checkouts. Now, in some stores, they've got produce and things that have to be weighed, so you can't really re replicate the self-checkout there. But let me put this out there. Okay, the companies do it to save money. Right? There's lots of issues surrounding training and workers' comp and all the other things associated with hiring an individual to be working in whatever facet, in this case, uh, at the cash register. How about this? Okay, companies, you can do it. Nothing wrong with profit. Nothing wrong with trying to maximize it. Nothing wrong with trying to alleviate some HR pressures. But let's tax them. 
let's tax the company exactly what would have been paid in tax had they been paying a human being to ring your products through. What do you think of that? That won't be popular in some corners. Too bad. All right, for those of you who've been following along, uh, Telltale Harbor, co-written by and starring our very own Alan Doyle, has been knocking it out of the park in PEI all summer. It's coming back to this province uh, for a bunch of dates here. Labrador West is the concert version on 27th of September. Then they're going to be Stephenville, Cornerbrook, Grand Falls, Windsor, Gander, and St. John's. So get out and see that. I hear nothing but rave reviews. I'm going to go for sure. And Doyle's a rock star just absolutely is. It was today in history, in 1995, that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opened its doors for the first time in Cleveland, Ohio. How about tying all those together today? Yeah. All right, so the Labor Day weekend. Teachers and administrators and other staff have been back in the schools to prepare to welcome the children on September the 7th. The pre-K wait list actually opens up next week. A lot of people will be interested in it. It looks like there's going to be five locations expected to open before the end of November. That's going to be East Point Elementary here in town, Elizabeth Park Elementary in Paradise, Elwood Elementary in Deer Lake, Gander Academy, and Peacock Primary in Happy Valley Goose Bay. They're hoping to have the rest of the 35 open by March of 2023, but there's going to be a wait list. People will be clamoring for this opportunity, I would imagine. So that wait list opens up next Thursday, the 8th of September at 9 a.m. Speaking of school, this story's frustrating. So do you know who Burt Squires is? Burt Squires is an Olympian, right? He's a weightlifter. He actually had finished fifth in the Olympics back in 1984 in Los Angeles. So... Mr. Squires, also the principal of the Donald C. Jameson Academy. The school gym, he got the art teacher on board to, his name was Rod Beck, to paint murals on the gym walls. So as opposed to the institutional gray that we see in so many gymnasiums, to spark it up and to maybe help him relive and think about his Olympic experience and to wow the children, Mr. Beck painted a bunch of murals, including two, uh, two that depicted uh, ancient Greek Olympians. And now what? The district, because they say it had some impediment regarding visibility, they painted it over. These beautiful murals. So it wasn't just the two Greek Olympians. There was also one there that was in a jungle scene, a jaguar, the school's mascot, all painted over. And, of course, Mr. Uh, Squires is absolutely right when he says it's 100% ludicrous. Imagine doing away with the beauty of the art and the scenes that were depicted and the Greek Olympians for institutional gray or a lighter color to enhance visibility, as if you couldn't see the volleyball coming at you when you played dodgeball. But anyway, that's a terrible story. Mr. Squires, if you're listening this morning, give us a shout. We live a bit in 1984 and what happened in that gymnasium. All right, I almost hate to bring it up, but it's just becoming, it's almost stupid. Price of gas, like, what, what's actually going on here? So we had a forecasted price of a drop of eight cents that we people anticipated for Thursday morning. No, up a, up a cent. And then, out of nowhere, again, the price of gas, down. Okay, it's always great when it's down. Eight and a half cents, good thing. Furnace oil down 7.34 cents. Stove oil down 7.6 cents. But it begs the question, how do they arrive at the price, at the PUB? Can we please not only have this... uh, this transparency and explanation from the PUB, but let's have a look at what that formula is. I don't pretend to know what the formula should be or what it should look like or how it should be applied, but if we had it and we could compare it to other jurisdictions, maybe, just maybe, we could have a better understanding of why we are so far and so different from other provinces in our own country. Gas down in Toronto, up in St. John's, right? Gas up in Vancouver, down in St. John's. Look, what actually goes on here? 
So there was actually, you're trying to tell me there's a 24-hour delay before the forecast offered by consumer for fair gas prices is proven to be accurate? Apparently, it's a formula problem. So, again, we all welcome a break at the pump. Eight and a half cents, fine. But it's just dizzying. It's a bit, it's kind of maddening to not have a firm understanding as to why we're so different from anywhere else in the country regarding the price of gas. And also, there is a deadline today for submission to the federal government how the provinces are going to apply uh, carbon pricing. So the four Atlantic provinces have, through uh, Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston, have asked for an extension beyond today. It was rejected. So all the provinces have a little bit of a different scheme. Like in Nova Scotia, they're cap and trade, and we know what it applies, how it's applied here in this province. So, of course, we applied for a bilateral agreement with the federal government in 2018, in October, for how we understand how the carbon tax is applied. Some people wish we were on the federal scheme. Now, you can argue that the carbon tax is regressive and it's just punishing Canadians as we all struggle with these tough times, inflation costs of living, the rest of it. But as long as the federal liberals are in place, there's going to be a price on pollution, a price on carbon. So no deadline extension granted. I don't know why. But it is always a little bit of a dog's breakfast, too, when you have provinces operating either on the federal scheme and getting a rebate or how we do it, or how Nova Scotia does it, but we've got to have a new updated plan as how the provinces are going to price carbon up until 2030, and so we'll find out in short order what happens there. All right, how are we doing on the telephone, David? Uh, let's get it going here this morning. So everyone is painfully aware of the issues regarding the review of mammography tests and, of course, the fact that now the four regional health authorities are reviewing some 14,000 patients' mammogram results. It's all bad enough. But we've mentioned uh, several times that there's been an annual audit, and it didn't capture this. These problems weren't identified. It gets worse. Now, the health authorities are doing what they can. I don't know if the right thing to say is downplay it, but to say what the risk will be for these, the reading of these results. There's been some discrepancies already identified, so there's a problem. But it gets worse. Three radiologists back in October of 2019 wrote a letter to the Department of Health Community Services saying this exact thing. They are not up to standards accredited by the Canadian Association of Radiologists. The government was told by people who are radiologists. And because maybe, just maybe, some of them, including Dr. Jane Rendell, were in an ongoing spat with Central Health in this case, that nobody paid any heed to it. How can that be? How can that be? So it's one thing the audits didn't pick it up. It's one thing that we had a variance between 3 megapixels and 5 megapixels, and some stations had it and some stations didn't. But they were told. They were told in 2019. So you can play it down all you like. You play it down all you like as regional health authority representatives. But when the warning is offered, maybe, just maybe, even when it pertains to like Meditech and some of the warnings that were offered regarding the potential for a cyber attack, when people who are on the front lines, the boots on the ground, the professionals that we've hired to be in these important positions, they identify a problem, they bring it to the attention of leadership, whether that be senior bu bureaucrats and or the ministers responsible and or the entirety of the cabinet and or on the premier's desk, when the warnings are there, do the right thing, investigate, and rectify. And in this case, again, it didn't happen. Anyway, unbelievable. Uh, da, 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 what's this say? 
uh, can't even read my own writing there. So a bunch of uh, emergency rooms are going to be closed over this long weekend. We have the list here. If you're so inclined, it's on our website, too, at VOCM.com. So anything in the healthcare world, let's take it on. I heard Brian Medora mention the fact that by next spring, we're going to be dialing 10 digits. So a call from my place up to mom's is not only her phone number, her seven digits, I'm adding 709. Okay, it's not that big a deal, right? And many of us with our smartphones, we don't do a whole lot of dialing anyway, do we? So, so seven di- or 10 digit dialing is coming your way. Of course, that's to accommodate the fact that the CRTC has ruled that we will indeed have a three digit number, 988, for suicide prevention and mental health crisis. So 10 digits coming your way. All right, very quick before we get off to a tune here this morning. I want to say happy birthday to Dennis Call, long-time listener of the program. Big milestone birthday coming up on Sundays, turning 70. The happiest of birthdays to Dennis Call from your five children and apparently your fur baby, Matilda. So happy birthday, Dennis. Have a great weekend, sir. All right, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. Let's get a tune going. Just to lighten it up. Now, the other day, we mentioned that it was 76 years ago where we first saw Foghorn Leghorn, right, in the cartoons. I don't know how many times I've heard this song or how many times I watched The Lion King and probably loved every single minute of it. I know my boy sure loved it. Those animated films of that generation were just tremendous. So I know there's lots of worries, but maybe just maybe for a couple of minutes, Hakuna Matata can be our motto when we come back. And then we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Here we go. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show. Let's begin on line number three. Good morning, Adam. You're on the air. Adam on three, you're on the air. Davis is pot up. Hi, Patty. How are you, buddy? Doing okay, Adam. How you doing? Good. Patty, uh, I'm calling about cell phone uh, service in the province. It's uh, absolutely uh, terrible. I agree. What part of the province do you live in? Uh, well, I just uh, moved from Labrador, and I know, you know, uh, this is 2022, and there's still no cell service on the, on the Trans-Labrador Highway. I think we need to get some there, and... Uh, you know, it's uh, not a not a good feeling when you're traveling over that highway and there's there's no cell phones for you know four or five hours. Do you borrow a satellite phone when you take on that trip? Uh, I used to, Patty, uh, but I, I found recently there's there's fewer and fewer uh, available. So you know, you're really taking your chances when you're getting on that road. I mean, it's great that it's great that it's fully paved, and I don't know if you made the trip since it's been completed, Patty, but it's absolutely beautiful and. Uh, but you know, it's it's still it's still possible. You know, anything could happen, and you could have a blow at any time, and you know, you're stuck you know, for a long time without being able to call anyone. I have not taken that trip, but I'm actively trying to bring the show to Labrador for a visit next year. So that would be that's high on my bucket list. I can tell you that. You know, just quickly, the the satellite phone issue is kind of maddening too. I think if I remember correctly, the number was they had about 80 at one point, and now about half of them are missing. People didn't return them, so that's not good. And regarding having the towers uh, put in place, the infrastructure required for improved cell service or any cell service, how do we achieve that? That's where I kind of scratch my head a little bit. Do we think that it's the government responsibility to take on that telecom expense? Because for the telecom companies, they won't say this out loud, but the business model's not there. They don't have the critical mass of customers to justify the expense of the uh, th- the towers themselves and any ongoing operations. So we're never going to get them to do it in full. We might be able to convince them to do it in a form of a partnership, but that's a long road to hoe. And I think there's lots of parts of rural Canada that have the exact same argument with their provincial government 
governments and sometimes our argument really does belong with the three big telecos. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I know Perry Tremper has done a great job up in Labrador, you know, getting as much infrastructure as he can. But, you know, I think, Patty, it comes down to a safety and a human right issue. You know what I mean? Uh, eventually, that the government's going to have to look at it and say, you know, when, when, does, when, does, when does cell phone coverage and cell phone um, lead to safety and, you know, a human right issue, right? I mean, we're in a technology time right now, so do we, do, we, do we eventually cross that line where it becomes a basic human right, Patty, to have cell service, or what do you think? Well, I think they've already made mention of the fact like uh, high-speed broadband has been now considered a right, so I don't think you're too far away from being exactly on point here. As we shift, technolo- technologically speaking, Access is important. It's fine for people in urban centers or people with deep pockets to be able to afford the next, the latest, and the greatest. But the fundamentals of having a cell phone, I don't know what the penetration is in Canada for cell phone usage. I'm going to throw it out there that, what, 80% of Canadians have a cell phone, if, if not more. So if that's the case and they're making big money off us with a virtual monopoly, maybe ensuring that every Canadian, wherever they travel in their own country, are able to get a couple of bars and make a call. I, I'm not opposed to what you're saying at all. And Patty, I just want to bounce off that. Like, I'm I'm driving from from out, out in Conception Bay north to St. John's, and I don't know if any of your listeners want to comment on this, but Patty, I found that the cell phone service, since this new 5G stuff has started, has been absolutely terrible. Ironically, when you were just speaking, I only got about what half you said. Is that uh, right? Okay. I'm, I'm almost in the city, uh, basically just past Holyrood, and the cell phone service, whatever is happening, Patty, on the highway. You, there used to be a spot, and anyone driving from CBN would be able to tell you there's two spots where you lose it. And now you're losing five, six places. For, so I don't know what's going on with the cell phone carriers, but I find actually the cell phone service has even gotten worse in Newfoundland in the past uh, two or three years. Last time I went out the highway, I didn't know if it was an anomaly or it was me or my phone or my vehicle, but I had a bunch of dead spots that popped up and lost a couple of calls en route. Uh, and then, you know, I, I guarantee you there's people listening now on the Buren Peninsula saying it's not just Labrador because that's a notoriously bad area. It's trying to navigate up and down the boot with uh, all the dead spots they experience. So, Adam, you're, you're not wrong. How we get to a point where... The telecom companies, whether it be through rulings made at the uh, CRTC to say that if you're selling people a package and you're selling them a smartphone and you got them on the hook, oh, look at that, his call dropped. I mean, there you go. A pretty classic example of what's actually happening here. And it is not robust. And it is not nationwide. Now, can we expect that every nook and cranny won't be able to take a stride or drive a kilometer in the country without having cell phone, with having cell phone coverage? Maybe not. But certainly better should be required. And, you know, just very quickly on the cell phone world. So there are hearings coming up regarding the Rogers uh, attempt to merge or to buy out Shaw. There's been a ruling during those negotiations that the questions about Rogers' nationwide outage can indeed be part of the investigation and the depositions as to whether or not that deal is actually going to happen, which I thought was a very interesting ruling. Before we get to our first break, or I guess our second break, let's go to line number two. Good morning, Rosemary. You're on the air. Hi, how are you? I'm okay this morning. How are you doing? Uh, thank you for taking my call. My name is Rosemary and I live in Pooch Cove. On Monday morning at 10 past 6 in the morning, our beautiful 
Sheltie, bolted away from our doors. He was out doing his business. Now, he's been gone since Monday. There's been absolutely no sight of him in Pooch over the surrounding areas. You know, we've, we've got people that are looking for him. He's a purebred Sheltie. He's two, three years old. He's got a blue uh, martingale collar on. He's set with microchips and he's neutered. So, but we, like, he got scared. He was out doing his business and a car went up the road naturally and uh, backfired and had a bad muffler and a spook. Leo, and it's the first time since we've gotten him that he's ever ran away from us because he always stays by the door, right? So we're pleading with the general public, if anyone has seen Leo, not to approach him, just to take a picture of him with your phone and give us a call and let us know that he, you know, you, you have seen him and we know he's still alive. This has been the fifth day now today. Uh, look, I, I certainly hope you get the dog back. Did you say he's microchipped? He is microchipped and he's also tattooed. You see? And we've notified all the veterinarians, we've notified all the shelters, we've sent posters out everywhere. No one has seen him. It's like, oh my God, he was taken off. Almost, you know, like, he's just not to be found. We're out every day. We've been advised to go out early in the morning and early, like, coming on dusk in the evening to look for him. And I've been speaking to a lovely man out in St. Mary's, uh, his branch. He raises the Shelties. He's a Rosemary Leo will come back. He's a, they're, they're runners. They run and run, and then they hide. It's like they're a sheepdog. They know how to do things, get the, you know. They're, you know, so this is the fifth day. You know, we, we're and if, and I'm only saying if, please God, they don't. But if somebody has our dog, and I really don't think they do, unless I, I really believe in people, if you have our dog, give us a call. You know, just to let us know he's alive and he's safe. You know, we don't know if anyone has my dog, because Leo won't go to anybody, only my daughter. He's very skittish and he's very nervous. And what's the dog's name? Leo. Leo. There's a, a pretty successful Facebook group for lost uh, pets that you might uh-huh. want to post on because people, I uh, think, are... You're on all of them. Okay, fair enough, Rosemary. Yeah, I figured I you probably were. lady from somewhere in Newfoundland. She's found here. She, her record of getting dogs back to their owners is really good. So she's found here to help us with it. I've got everybody call me and text me. Oh, Patty, you don't know. Like, you never imagine what it's like to lose a pet until you've lost one and don't know whether to. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I've been there, and I know exactly yeah. how you feel, and I really hope that we come to a, a happy conclusion here and you get Leo back. Uh, just very quickly, Rosemary, and yeah. I know this is kind of beside the point, but a martingale collar, that's what I know as like a whippet collar, is it? Yeah, it's a women color, but we've never ever had to use it on Leo. You see, Leo is very, and it doesn't hurt apparently. But as I went and bought it, my daughter, she's own, she owns it. She's twenty-seven. She's the owner of the dog, and she went, but she put it on. But fortunately, she's never ever. We never ever had him on a leash to use it, which is a good thing. But but these martingale collars don't apparently they don't hurt a dog because did it. I'd never have it on them. You see, it just restrains them from from run, uh, barking and stuff. Okay. I don't know. I don't know, but honestly, I don't. Yeah, it's got a little, a little, a little additional loop in the front, more control yeah. of the dog, but very, uh, very kind. It's actually referred to as the most humane collar you can put on a dog, I think. Yeah, really. Uh, Rosemary, listen, fingers crossed. I can hear the worry in your voice. Do you want to give us your number? What, what yes, would you like I to do? do? I'll give you my number to heart, please. You know, really, we live, you know, my number is 330 okay. 2365. Two three six five Rosemary yeah. Lost Shelter. Yeah, everybody in Coach of Norty Savannah knows who my mate my married name was Rose Shea. Now I you know, I've lived here sixty four years and I've been involved with every organization on the face of the earth and the Norty Savannah. So Rose Shea is pleading to the people. She can find her Leo. 
Good luck, Rosemary. Let me know what happens, okay? Well, I love you. I, t- I really appreciate your coming. Anything we can do to help? Thank you so much. Take Bye. care. Bye, Rosemary. All right, keep your eyes peeled there, gang. Uh, let's take a break. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Ryan. You're on the air. Um, Akuna Makata, Patty, you and your listeners, and thanks for taking the call. <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> Patty, I'm calling in this morning about the FFAW election this week for the position of Secretary Treasurer. And I know that you were speaking with Merv Wiseman with CNL a couple of weeks ago um, about the issue. Our members of CNL had a problem with the FFAW election and that any one of the 2,400 FFAW members who had signed a fishing card back in 2019, that's back when Fish and Owl Union, when the Fish and Owl Union was on the go, it disbanded in 2019, of course. But any one of the 2,400 FFAW members who signed a fishing card almost three years ago was ineligible to nominate a candidate for secretary treasurer or to run for the position. And from CNL's perspective, the broader public, and you and Merv spoke about this, should be concerned anytime we see democratic rights and freedoms usurped. And, and that was Merv's point. Of course, CNL has a vested interest from our perspective in the FFAW election because the, the union also represents our members, enterprise owners, on, fundam- on fundamental issues like non-core ground fish licenses. You know all about those. And the right of fishermen to sell those non-core licenses or to pass them on. So the FFAW election was held on Thursday of this week, um, and only members of the FFAW executive were eligible to vote. But here's my point for calling. My point has to do with the winner of the vote, Jason Spingel. Now, he's a longtime FFAW staff rep for the West Coast. You've had him on your show multiple times. Most members of the FFAW didn't even know the, that Jason Spingel was running un, until the morning of the vote when they read it on VOCM website. That's how I learned about it. Thank God for the VOCM website. The specific concern has to do with accountability, Patty, and the fact that there is none. In 2016, and I know you're aware of this as well, there was a court case against the FFAW by their own members, and those members won the court case. The case had to do with $2.6 million in compensation for fishing grounds the Scala fishermen would lose when Nalcor laid that transmission line across the Strait of Belle Isle yeah. to bring Muskrat Falls power to Newfoundland. The, it came down to the fishermen argued the money should be shared through lump sum payments among everyone who held a scallop license. The union, the FFAW, said the money should be paid out over 30 years to active fishers who, who could demonstrate actual losses. Okay, I'm getting to the point. During the trial, Jason Spingel, that's the new secretary treasurer, he was a key figure in putting together that compensation package. He admitted the union was a year into negotiations with Nalcor before it asked fishermen to sign consent forms. So what that means, Patty, is that the compensation deal was done before the fishermen knew about it. And again, the fishermen won the case, which went to appeal, and the fishermen won that too. So my point is... Where is the accountability when the FFAW executive elects a new secretary treasurer who was a key figure in an unprecedented court case in which the union was shown to have deceived its members? Where are the repercussions? Where is the accountability? From our perspective, from CNL's perspective, and again, we have a vested interest in that the FFAW also represents our members, our enterprise owner members. The election of Jason Spingel does little to instill confidence in such an important position. So from my perspective, 
it was important to bring this to your listener audience this morning. Everybody should be aware of Jason Spengel, his past, that compensation package, and the court case brought against the FFAW by its own members. It's about accountability and the fact that there is none. Well, I guess the members, uh, unless they did not know about it, which I can't believe, given the fact that it was a pretty widely covered uh, issue, court cases and comments coming from all sides, that they didn't know Mr. Spingle's involvement in it. And I guess if they did and they voted for him anyway, then what do we say to them? Well, they didn't vote for him anyway. The, the The only people who voted in this election on Thursday was the executives of the FFAW, the members of the Inshore Council and their industrial retail councils. It wasn't the rank-and-file members. They didn't vote at all. Understood. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. From our perspective, it just – I mean, the executive is is endorsing this unaccountability. It it, it just makes no sense, and I I thought it should be brought to the attention of your listeners. Well, I'm glad you made time for the program, Ryan. Appreciate this. Have a great day, Patty. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. It's Ryan Clary, the executive director at CNL. Let's go to line number two. Caller, you're on the air. Hello. Hi there. Hi, Patty. Welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Uh, What's on my mind is that uh, around uh, March March 9th, I got hauled into the DOT station. Um, I got... Throw it on scales, uh, haul logs for a living, right? I'm a log truck driver. Okay. Uh, I went in. I got approached by DOT as I was coming down the highway to come in for a weight check. I responded on the radio, not a problem. Went into the weight scales and uh, got weighed. Uh, my weight was perfect. I was legally weighed. Like, I was good good on my weight, good on my paperwork. Was told uh, everything is good on your end for, for us. And then I was approached, as I'm sitting on the scales, idling, getting weighed, I was approached by a wildlife officer that come out of the DOT department's building that's that's at the weight scales, come up to where I had the trucking gear, idling, sitting on the scales, getting weighed, and I didn't hear what he said. And then he said to me, and I said, excuse me, sir, and he said, load book now, which is a different book for what you're hauling on the scales. And I believe you got a picture of the slips that I sent you. Uh, David just forwarded them to me, so I've got them up and trying to look at them while we talk. Yes. So, okay. So everything is good on the DOTN. The gentleman told me I was a pleasure to deal with. So now, like I said, I, I think I should have been waiting to wait to haul off the scales till I was asked for any book from them. But that's here and over there. I couldn't hear him, so then... I asked what he said. He said, load book now. And I forgot, and I'll, I'll admit, I honestly made a mistake like a human. I forgot to put the time down on that slip because there's one slip I sent you that's, that's the slip in question. And then there's two bank, blank slips I sent you in the text that shows, like, where what yeah. you have to fill out. And then on the back, it shows you what to fill out, right? Like, it explains to you on the yellow slip that I sent you there, it explains to you how to fill out the front part of the white slip. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Okay, so on the back, like I said, uh, I, I, I'm eight days old at this point. Behind me, I was uh, been out of work because of the pandemic, whatnot. I stayed home, used up my resources on my savings and stuff like that to stay home with my family. I'm a family. I'm a 38 year old young man. <clears throat> I got a family of three kids. You know, I, you know, times are tough with the money. So this ticket now that I received from from the game warden at that shack and like I said these guys didn't have no I was 8 days old behind the wheel all new to this to this haul log so when you look at the back patty of that yellow slip that I sent you and it contains the section B 3 and 4 on the very back of that slip that I sent you 
I'll read it over there. Section B, to be completed by driver prior to determining, prior to departing, departure of load site. All information pertaining to the vehicle configuration and identification, operating area, destination, product being transported, species, load size, volume, estimated if not scaled at load site, and date must be completed. Not the time. I had everything completed on that slip. When I put it up on the steering wheel, and this is another thing that blows my mind, Patty. When I put the load slip up on the book, or up on the, put the book up on the steering wheel of the truck and looked at the gentleman, the wildlife officer, said, sorry, sir, I forgot to put the time on, this, on the book. He then jumped up on the side of my truck with a DOT officer as a witness in the window and yanked the book out of my hands. To me, that was almost like assault. So I was like, wow, I was blown away at the incident. So then I get, I get out of the truck to go, I pull off the scales at this point. Like, this is all happening while I'm sitting on the scales getting weighed. So I don't understand why I'm being treated this way in a professional setting, for one. So then I pull off, I get out of the truck to go in and see what's going on. The two wildlife officers wouldn't talk to me. They wouldn't have no, they wouldn't discuss anything with me. They didn't ask me when I started work, how long I've been doing this, because I'm only eight days behind the wheel. I only know what is on the back of the slip of the yellow card that says, and, and when you look on the front patty of section B, the whole slip, like you can see that there's certain parts that are bolded, black letters, there's certain parts that are underlined, like big vehicle configuration. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Pro- yeah, so like, you know, those those things were all filled out. Like, like to me, as a, as, a, as, a, as a driver that handles documents, because like, you know, I'm a First Nation, Kualibu, Mi'kmaq, a member that put me through school for my trade about five, six years ago, and I haven't been without work since. Like, I've worked Northwest Territories. I've worked Canada, uh, far as west as Northwest Territories, and far as east as Newfoundland and all in between. How expensive is the ticket? The, the ticket is $500 for simply not for what they're trying to say. Because now get this, Patty. Then, okay, I got a ticket here from the wildlife officer saying that uh, Section 3-1, Bracket 2, which is failure to complete the load slip. But the load slip was completed. I just forgot to write the time. And I honestly admit that. I made a human error. I for, I'm eight days old behind the wheel. I forgot to write the time in the hustle and bustle of my job during that day. Is, there, say, is, is there an implication at your, with your employer for getting these kinds of tickets, or is it simply 500 bucks out of your pocket? $500 out of my pocket because it comes. It doesn't go to the employer. This one goes to the driver. Right. I just wonder if there's... Yeah. Look, you know, if I got a speeding employer, ticket... Okay. I'll let you wrap it up, Sean. Last word for you. Uh, for me, that, uh, you know, to be physically, like, you know, to be have that man jump up on the truck and haul out, and not even that, Patty. Now, like I said, like, I'm, uh, the story goes on by, I got a ticket from him saying that the slow, the load slip wasn't filled out. Then I get to court docket for, for a trial date saying that I'd never give him the slip. When he hauled the slip out of my hands, I got witnesses like, you know, and I, I even talked to their bosses. I talked to my MHA. I went I went through above and beyond. I went through the RCMP office, tried to get the man charged for jumping up on the truck and assaulting me. I got, I've got i been blown off because I, I can't afford a lawyer. I can't afford to even take time to get into the truck and go find legal aid because I've been without work for two years. I'm making $840 a week. And I got to pay a $500 ticket with three kids. And like I said, there's no language on the back of the ticket to back up a $500 ticket for no time. I had everything else filled out on Section B. You can see three and four. I read it, so you're going to fight it, obviously. 
Oh, I'm fighting it, but I called the Crown. This is what I'm saying, Patty. I shouldn't have to take all this time. When you're right, you're right, and when you're wrong, you're wrong. You shouldn't have to fight this, and I shouldn't have to be all tied up when I've been calling the Crown's office, asking for my disclosure, asking to speak to Crown about what's going on, how come I got a charge of a ticket on one thing, saying one thing, and then how come I got a trial date for a totally different charge on another paper. And they're just ignoring me because you know why, Patty? I'm representing myself. So they, they, they look at me as who the, <laughs> he who has a client for himself or he who has uh, treats himself as a client has a fool for a client, right? But I'm not, I'm no fool. I'm just a, I'm a poor working man that's being bullied. I went to my MHA f- f- in, in, in the hometown of my hometown, my MHA. He told me, he said, Sean, if, I didn't mean to say my name, but whatever. If you were doing bad, he said... I wouldn't care how they got you. But he said, you didn't do nothing wrong. He said, they bullied you. You're being okay. bullied. I said, so what can I do for you? He said, well, I'll bring it to the agricultural and fisheries minister in the House Assemblies because that's where I'll be. I'll be on the floor. I'll mention to him. Nobody's ever got back to me. Nobody's talked to me. Like, I've been calling, reaching out, talking to everybody. I talked to the wildlife officer's boss. He blocked my calls. He won't call me back no more. So, like, I don't understand why I'm out here doing a job, working my butt to the to the grindstone for my family to support three kids. And then all of a sudden, get hauled into the grand, Grand Falls Winter Weight Scale. Yeah, no, I, I heard you. So, right? and, and be weighed. Okay. And then they'd have that man jump on the truck, rip the book into my hand. Understood. And say, I never felt it at the time. And then all of a sudden, now I got a ticket and a trial date, and nothing adds up. It's like, I don't know what to do, Patty. Well, let me know how it turns out because I like I read the you know, the yellow portion of the, the ticket that you sent, or pardon me, this load slip that you sent along. It, yeah. There's no mention of time. So I don't know if that will pass the smell test because if you're not told. No, to, the smell. Okay, I, I do have to go, but why don't you let me know how it works out? Well, Patty, the ticket, what he give me, is for no time. What the Crown Attorney is bringing me into court for is not giving the load slip. I heard you. So I, I don't I, understand, what, 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 what does a guy do when you're not a lawyer, right, when you're dealing with... What's that? I didn't say anything. But I do have to run. There's a group out yeah. there called Public Legal uh, Information. Uh, anyways, P-L-I-A-N, Plain. Uh, they might be able to give you some free legal advice right over the telephone. They've been very helpful to a bunch of people. So if you Google a P-L-I-A-N, you'll get a phone number. Give them a quick call and let me know how you make out. Well, Patty, like I said, this is for... Like, I've got to go. Number. What do you mean you got to go? Can I say one more? If you can do it quickly. I mean, come on. Let's go. Yeah, I'm just looking for any lawyer out there that you know, can help me out. If you think that I've been physically assaulted in the workplace by a warden jumping up and ripping the book out of my hands and I got witnesses in the DOT shack that are willing to be subpoenaed to court... Give me a call. Help me out. Well, you call that number. For, just Google up P-L-I-A-N, and you'll get yeah, a number there. That's me, legal Patty, advice. I'm work, uh, you got the number there, Patty? I'm working. I, got, I can't be using the Internet there. Hold on. I'm going to put you on hold, and Dave will look it up for you. He'll give it to you. How's that? Excellent, sir. Okay, you're on hold. Good luck. Uh, there you go, Dave. You want to grab that number for me? Let's take a break. Welcome back to the show. All right, let's go. Line number three. Howard, you're on the air. Oh, this is not a, a regular call that you get complaining about the healthcare system. Because I, I feel I'm not qualified to to do it. But I had an experience in emergency on uh, on Tuesday uh, this week. Uh, first of all, my wife had some pains in her chest, uh, uh, pretty serious pains. So we went on out to emergency. We got there. 9.15 in the morning and right away the, the people got her in and did the blood tests and so on, I guess thinking maybe a heart attack 
but it wasn't. So we had to wait for the results of the blood test, and we had to wait till 5.30 in the evening before we went back in to the, the office when we got called in. Mm-hmm. And from 5.30 to 12 o'clock that night when we went home, we were treated with royalty. A doctor and two students came in and talked to us, and her condition wasn't necessarily a heart thing because we had just come back from Ontario from a very serious operation. We thought it may be a problem with the operation, but the doctor and the and the two people who were with her helped us. They did EKG, X-rays, and and the treatment was totally satisfactory after we got in. The only point I wanted to make was there was a lot of people there. I counted 41 people one time, and I'm sure there was more than that at the health science. But could it be possible to put in some kind of furniture, some kind of chairs where people would be more comfortable? I saw one older lady in particular and another kind of a large man who, who had to get up probably 30 or 40 times and walk around. He just couldn't handle it. These chairs are vinyl. It was a really hot day in there, totally uncomfortable. And that must make it harder for the staff as well. I saw a couple of people, they had to call security, uh, maybe for, for different reasons, but they called security just to settle them down. They were really, really upset. They didn't specifically say about the being uncomfortable but it it could contribute to it you know we were 15 hours there and i'm not complaining about the service i understand there was some tests we had to get done and we had to wait four hours because of because my wife being allergic she had to take some stuff and that part was okay no problem with that i just wondered have you ever heard of anyone say first of all the space is not big enough Secondly, the chairs are just totally uncomfortable. Is, this, is this the emergency room at the Health Sciences? Yes, that's right, yeah. No, okay. Uh, yeah, that's right, at the Health Sciences, yeah. Well, yes, the short answer is absolutely I have. You know, there's a type of chair that you see in some of the hospital rooms that are much more comfortable. They're higher on the back, you can sit back, you can relax, and they needn't be made out of vinyl because I can picture, and I've been there, stuck to the old vinyl chair in a hot waiting room. They are renovating and expanding the footprint of the Health Sciences uh, uh, waiting room for the emergency services. That's coming, but that's no that's no good to you because you've already been through the 15 hour wait so i guess to answer your question yes i've been i've heard the uncomfortable complaint many many times about the chairs and the size and the space all of these things have come our way i'm glad you got the type of bedside manner and treatment from the professionals themselves but that doesn't make the wait any easier to manage there's a let me throw this out at you so there was a fellow who's called this program a couple of times with this suggestion. Like if I went to a restaurant and they had a bar, I, they'll have my cell phone number. They'll send me a text when it's my turn. How much more comfortable could you be in a reclined car seat listening to the radio or something and just get a text message to say, it's your turn, come back in? You know, not leaving the parking lot, not driving around, not out at McDonald's or whatever. Just, you know, for an opportunity to be a bit more comfortable and not in a cramped space like that emergency room presents. So uh, I'll just throw that out there. Your thoughts. What think of that yeah yes that that sounds pretty good because that would eliminate two things first of all the people who are totally upset and some people may not understand that i do understand the situation i've been uh, my wife has been sick for three or four years we've been there we had over 50 appointments one year for doctors and treatment and stuff like that so so i know what it's like to be there so because i know i understand 
Uh, and in, in, in what you're saying is great, great news if you're going to get better, better space and better furniture. But, uh, but I just wonder, do the, the, the system realise the impact that has on the people working there? When you're there totally pissed off uh, because you're tired and your head is aching from trying to get back on the seat to go to sleep, it makes it harder on the people working too. Of course it does. Absolutely. So, it has so the multiplier effect, of course, no doubt. Yeah. So this call is not to complain about the system. I, I understand it enough to know that it's it's gone, pretty well gone to the dogs at this point. And and who do you blame? You can get on and tell you about it all day long. I'm sure you understand. And I don't mean to go take off any more of your time with it. I just wanted to say, get some decent furniture. <laughs> so so my neck is still sore from sitting up in the chair and sore my wife and my my uh, my backbone. The lower part of it is nearly paralysed. <laughs> it's yeah. a long time. Well, I tell you, that's where it gets me to the tailbone. I can have days of aches in the old coccyx after uh, uncomfortable seating. Uh, very quickly and, and importantly, Howard, how is your wife? Uh, she's okay. She has this uh, rare disease that not many people got. And as a matter of fact, when the, when the when the two students came in to the room to talk to us, I mentioned to me and they didn't know what it was. And many many doctors don't uh, really haven't heard her tell of it. It's called achalasia. Do you ever tell of it? No, I haven't, sir. No, most people didn't. It's a, a, a problem with your esophagus and the upper part of your stomach. She had a, a very serious operation up in Kingston. Only two hospitals in Canada do the operation. I think one is Kingston, the other one is Calgary. So we had to go to Kingston there in July and get it done. Uh, the opening going into her stomach is not uh, big enough for food to go down. You get to cut out a bunch of it and get it. It's really uncomfortable. I shouldn't have been talking to you. She's going to be mad with me now. Or uh, hopefully she won't be. So is this where I see, like I, I remember watching a TV show once where uh, someone was eating a muffin had to pinch off very small portions to put it in their mouth very slowly because I believe they had achalasia. Well, it could be. There's a couple of different things. And then uh, she had to have a a brain operation uh, oh leading up to it because she had to be in really good health and everything gets this. Uh, it's called a POEM operation, P-O-E-M. And it, it's, it was developed in Japan in 2009 and some doctors come over here and trained certain units. And because the disease is so rare, I think there's only a one in 200,000 and one in 500,000 will get it really seriously or something like that. So you're not going to have a team of doctors in every hospital, naturally. So we go to the doctors instead of the doctors coming to us, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's understandable. But but in her case, yeah, it it doesn't go down. But when she had the brain operation, the brain operation failed as well. She had the thing in her brain that that had to be uh, corrected before they did the serious operation on her esophagus. But she's out walking around, she's out in the garden and stuff like that, she's fine. But okay. uh, uh, <laughs> she's not going to like me doing this. I'm sorry, Judy. So blame it on me, Howard. I can handle it. Yeah. And I appreciate making time. Say hello to Judy for me and wish her well. Yeah, okay, good enough. Thank you very much for your time. But, uh, but you know, if there's any way of... Uh, 
uh, uh, throwing up that system. It would make it easier on everyone, especially the poor, sick, older people. It's amazing how I've seen stuff out there the other day. Okay, Eddie, thanks for your time. Thanks, Howard. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, just very quickly before we get to the news, another birthday. I want to throw this out to Muriel. Muriel pardon me, let me start again. Muriel Edmonds. Everyone calls her Aunt Muriel. She lives in McCoy. She's from McCovic. She turns 105 today. Happy 105th birthday to Muriel Edmonds. And everybody knows her as Aunt Muriel. She survived the residential schools, two world wars, two global pandemics. She was widowed at a young age. Still does a lot of things for herself. She lives in a long-term care facility. This lady, Crystal, tells me that she's the sweetest lady you could ever meet. Happy birthday to Muriel Edmonds, 105 years young today. Wow. Break time. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And welcome back. Let's go line number one. Mike, you're on the air. Good morning, Penny. Morning to you. Penny, the, the week you're talking about the ferries and the Fogo Island Ferry and the Bill Island Ferry and the, and the uh, Burgio Ferry, like three of them are down the week and pretty well the repairs on Long is because of the management into the Confederation building. Uh, they've been down for extended periods of time. They're not being fixed. They won't call the people who can fix it. They, you know, they're, uh, they don't like being ridiculed because they don't know what they're doing. They're not experienced in what they're doing. And they're willing to, uh, at the cost of the taxpayers and the traveling public, they're willing to let the boats tie up or be out of service and that, whatever. Nobody working on them. Uh, people working on them that are not, uh, they're giving the jobs to people who are not trained into that field, especially DC drives and Camiwell systems and whatever. These people don't know nothing about what's going on, and it's totally, utterly ridiculous. And everybody that are in those lineups and that stuff waiting uh, should get after the the people in Confederation because there's where all the problems are, too. Well, who's around? Who's around? What companies are around that should be doing the work then? And how does the work uh, get doled out? Are there tenders? Are there simply someone's on speed dial? So, how, to your understanding, how does it even work? They call up depending if it's emergency or not or what sometimes you got to give uh, get three prices but most most times it's not done they're just picking somebody in there to uh, a contractor that they calls up and just says go do make this repairs and by far like i said uh, all the time the, the problem with it is there is that you've got management at the top that don't know what they're doing that are hiring people down the line that obey, obey them and do what they says and whatever and follow their instructions. And uh, they're just totally and utterly ridiculous. Now, they did the study with the uh, public crowds. Really. They proved onto that that the management don't know nothing. They had assistant directors and everything there saying that uh, deputy ministers and that, so they were called in there, oh, they never had the tools. Now, what are the tools for a uh, deputy minister, say? So to go into the jobs, no tools, is experience. It's not a toolbox that you take in your hand and go. It's on top of your head. that You've got to be in your head of what to do. So they're going into jobs with no experience, no nothing. And then they're going into uh, a place where the people working underneath them got no experience and don't know what they're doing. So they can't learn it. 
So what you got there is a total mess. And like I said, it was clear in those hearings and it was clear in the uh, market soundings that the problems are in the Confederation buildings. Not with the crews, not with boats, not with the ferries or anything else. It's all got to do with the political atmosphere in Confederation building. And they're using it to their own, say, boost their own selves and protecting themselves. It's totally and utterly ridiculous. And where is the Public Commerce Committee report? That bothers me to the point that here they are. They're taking on more work than they get done. Taking six months. Now they got to go back and rehash uh, what they learned because they can't remember now what was said and not said into those hearings six months later. There's nobody can. So now what you got is uh, they're doing two or three times the work because they're not doing it and finishing it. If they did it and when it's all fresh in their mind, made their decisions and everything else, it's done. But no, they're taking on a whole pile of things. They can't get one done. And here we are, just basically a total waste of money. Same way with these market soundings. The deputy minister came out and said, oh, this was going to be done right away. This was going to be done with expediency, all this stuff. We still got nothing onto it. And we still got the millions of dollars being wasted. And uh, the crews there now, uh, when they call somebody that they want somebody, they won't tell them who, go, who goes because or who they want because they won't listen to them. They're going to do, in the, in the Confederation building, they want to be bosses. They're trying to prove that they're bosses. And they're not. They just don't know how to do it. They don't know how to manage it. And we're paying the price, and the passengers are paying the price. Now, the Fogo Island Ferry was down there, the, the Beaumont. She was down with D.C., problems with D.C. drives. Uh, you know, this stuff is, is, there's not very many people around that can fix it. And then he calls a company that don't have anybody to send down there for days. And they won't call anybody that they know that can do it. Why? Because he got a great. Yeah, well, I, I know the reason why. It's because of me, because I spoke out about it. I complained about it. And now they got a vindictiveness against me and a fellow that took over my business. Why? Because you you got a fellow there that should be retired. He's an old man, and so am I. But I shouldn't be there either. But the thing is, is that he's ruined this roost, and they got to do whatever he says. And tell you what, he's got something on the Liberal government or be gone. Everybody is after asking for his resignation. Uh, I, I can tell you now, half a dozen people say they're after asking for his resignation, and nobody got any use for him, including the crews or anybody else. <laughs> but he's there. He is hard. He he is influencing the hiring of who's there and everything else. And nobody's going to go there other than they does what he says. Point taken, Mike. Appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for this. Thanks, Mike. All the best. Bye-bye. Uh, before we get to the break, I just threw out a happy birthday, 105th birthday to Muriel, Ed Muriel Edmonds. Join us on line number three, Iris O'Leary. Hi, Iris. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. I just had to make a correction. Oh, no. What did I do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my mother's name is actually Muriel Anderson. Oh, that's the someone sent me an email and called her Muriel Edmonds. I had no idea. I'd never met or heard about the lady before, so my, my apologies. <laughs> I, I understand. Anyway, uh, she turns 105 today, and uh, for the past 12 years, she has been in the long-term care. 
and uh, except for one year when the COVID restrictions were on, uh, she has brought us all together, the whole family, a mil- oh, I can't say millions of grandkids, but anyway, uh, uh, children, uh, uh, grandkids and great-grandkids, and uh, uh, she she's happy. Uh, she's 105, and, and she acts like she's probably 95. Anyway, uh, and also, Patty, at this time, I'd like to give a sincere thank you uh, to the uh, all the staff at the long-term care that uh, have have showed her such care, courtesy, and kindness over the years. Uh, we, as her family, truly appreciate it. And uh, the main thing is that Mom appreciates it. Mom, Mom is very satisfied, and that's the bottom line, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm really pleased to hear that. How many siblings do you have, Iris? Uh, we were six. We were three girls and three boys. We lost our oldest sister and our brother uh, in the past few years, so we're now uh, two girls and two boys. And how many grandchildren and great-grandchildren does Muriel have, does Mama? Uh, have? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I got 13 grandchildren, but as for mom, I'm not quite sure. Uh, somebody else totaled all the numbers, and they're going to have it on uh, some kind of a special bulletin. So uh, there's quite a few, Patty, and quite a few greats, and there's even a couple of great greats. That's amazing. Uh, well, I really apologize for getting her name wrong. I was just reading it off the page. So it was Muriel Anderson is 105 years old today. Uh, yes. When you see your mom, tell her and pass along a very special hello and warm happy birthday from me. Yes, I'm going to. And, and uh, mom now being a Labradorian, but mom always says, oh, I love some Newfoundlanders. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take oh, it. Oh, Okay, thank you very much, Patty. Thanks, Iris. All right. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. Correction noted and Muriel Anderson. Okay, let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show. Let's go. Eddie Joyce, he's the independent member for Humber Bay Violence. He joins us on line number two. Good morning, Eddie. You're on the air. Uh, Patty, thank you again uh, for taking my call on the Hydrogen Project out on the West Coast. Uh, um, I've learned over years that if you let a statement stand um, that people may believe is true, uh, the Premier stated on issues and answers this week with Michael Connors. Uh, he stated the process is in place with environmental review. He also he went on to say that we did not create the process. It was already in place. This is for this what's happening here uh, with, w- with this project is just totally false. There's no section in the Environmental Act which allows you to project split to get around the environment impact study. There's absolutely no process in place. What this project is doing is allowing them to do phase one, get the buildings up, get it done, and we'll do phase two and three. Uh, I, I, there is absolutely what the Premier said uh, on that show, that this process has been in place, the project split, is absolutely categorically false. And, and if, if I allow this to, each time they make false statements to allow it to go ahead, people are going to say, oh, well, they did this before. They haven't. It's not done. It's just not done. And this is the only project, and I've been around the government line while I've been the Minister of Environment for a while. This is the only project that I know that was ever told by government, split up so we can get phase one, then we got to give you phase two and three. And, and I just want to remind people, Patty, I want to remind people, John Risley stated himself, government told us to do this. And, and just John Risley's own statement, so this is not me making this up. I can show you in the CBC article where he stated that. 
So my question is, who in government is telling him how to how to 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 go around the environmental impact study? I doubt very much, and I honestly believe this to to about my heart. It wasn't Bernie Davis, the minister. So was it the premier? I honestly believe Bernie Davis will try to do the right right thing um, in, in his position. So who informed John Risley how to go about this process to get around the environmental impact study? If the buildings are bit, built, phase one is completed, and, and then you've got a billion dollars already put into it, what, what's the pressure? Just look at the pressure that's put on people now with the Prime Minister and the Chancellor of Germany down here signing the agreement, the expectations of everybody to do it. Just just think what, what the pressure would be on uh, on the people, the, the Department of Environment. If right now they get phase one, they got a billion dollars spent, they got the building. Now, by the way, we got to go into Lewis Hills certain time, Delhi. I'll let Scott Reed speak on his own about his way. He hasn't spoken up yet. That's up to Scott Reed. But I'm speaking on Lewis Hills certain time. Valley and Bloomington. What are the expectations then to say, okay, boys, we got to do this now? If this project has the merit that they're saying, and, and, and this is my whole point on, on, on this, Patty, if this project has the merit that everybody is saying, let's do it properly. Let's make an informed decision and be upfront with the residents. That's going to affect it the most. I'm not saying this project shouldn't go ahead. I'm not saying this project should should stop. I'm not saying anything. What I'm saying is if you start off with a false assumption that the environmental assessment and impact study is going to be done just to subvert the, the whole process, you will never get the proper result of what the effects of the environment will be. So I call upon the minister again, Minister Bernie Davis. Now now that you're well aware of the statements by, by John Risley, publicly stated, and once he publicly did it, he broke the project, in, he, he project split, put it in place, scrap it, scrap it, and go back and do a full environmental impact study on the whole project, not just on one phase. And for the premier's province to get out and say, oh, well, this process has been in place, the environmental review has been in place, absolutely false, premier. Either you're intentionally making those statements or you're being misinformed. I'll let you choose because there's never okay. no provision. Well, I tell you what, uh, luckily, just yesterday secured the fact that we will indeed have John Risley on this program next week, and I'm looking forward to it. And I guarantee you, one of the questions near the very top of the list is who told you to split the project for environmental improvement? Because it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it's almost like saying the quiet part out loud. Look, if there's a plan to potentially, if the business model uh, requires it to triple the project or to add down the line, it's kind of hard to know what the business will look like because nobody, including John Risley, has been in this business. So that's one thing, but it's vastly different than to be told directly from the entity that has to do and approve the environmental assessment to say, split it, make your life easier. So there's something weird about it, and I'm going to ask Mr. Risley, guaranteed and uh, Patty, j- j- just just in the same interview that john risley did john risley stated and i can provide it to anybody who wants it because he he's, he made the comments to cbc the comment that he made is that in order for this to be viable we need phase two and three so phase two and three is coming so if you had to say we're doing phase one and then we'll see how that goes we can make it profitable on phase one but for john risley in the same article the exact same article said, 
in order to make this viable, we need phase two and three. Our government told us just to put in phase one. Yep. It is wrong. It is wrong. And, and I, I'm sorry to, to hide the time on the year, but if I don't correct the premier of this province by saying that this is this is a normal part of the environment, that this is already in place, it's wrong, premier. Go check your facts. It is absolutely wrong. And I challenge the premier here now, and I challenge the, the minister, Bernie Davis, which I don't feel it was the person who told him this. I challenge them, show me how many times in this province have you intentionally split up a project so a project be approved at phase one, but we know phase two will come just so you get past environmental impacts. That show it to me. I'll ask, and well, I don't mind following up with the government, but I'm going to ask Mr. Risley because I imagine that'll be the next chance I get to speak with someone who's involved in this, whether it be government and or World Energy GH2. I appreciate the time, Eddie. Thanks for the call. Petty, thank you for giving me that time to correct this again. Take good care. Thank you, bye. All right, bye-bye. Okay, let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's hear what's shaking out of the Manuals River Interpretation Center. Hi, Eleanor. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. How you doing? Doing okay. You? I'm doing okay, too. And I'm really glad to get to talk to you today about our bobber race that we have running at Manuals River. So we're a small science and nature center up in Conception Bay South for anyone who's not uh, familiar with us. And we have over six kilometers of trail that we maintain and upgrade and offer free usage of to the public. And we do a lot of uh, environmental education for, you know, not just youth, but adults as well. And we invite everybody to come in. There's always something happening. We've got lots of different programs running and looking forward to now as summer draws to a close, welcoming back some of our, our fall programming. Um, but to support that, we really need the help of the public. So our Bobber Race is an online 50-50 lottery, and only people within the province of Newfoundland and Labrador can purchase tickets. So you need a mailing address within the province. And uh, if you have that, then you are halfway there. You just make your way over to bobberace5050.com to buy uh, one or a couple of tickets. There's only 20,000 available, uh, so the race is to get them before they're all gone. The jackpot right now is up over $55,000, almost up to $56,000. And, you know, in the last two years, it's been up over $100,000 each year. So we're really hoping to at least make that goal uh, again this year. And the deadline is quickly approaching for tickets. So the deadline for purchase is September 7th. And you can get your tickets online, bobberace5050.com, or you can always give a call to the center at 1709-834-2099, and we'd be happy to facilitate ticket sales over the phone. The tickets are one for $25, three for $60, five for $75 or 10 for $100. When you bundle your tickets, you are up in your own chance to win a pretty nice little prize, but you're also uh, helping us to keep going with all of the many services that we're trying to provide for not just the members of town of CBS, but anybody who is in nearby area and anyone who's visiting as well. So we really want to be able to keep going, uh, doing what we do, what we love to do to take care of the environment and to share that passion with everybody um, who's on board and maybe inspire some new people who weren't thinking that way before, but um, we'd love to have them join us. Uh, Eleanor, are we ever going to go back to the day where we dump buckets full of bobbers in the river? 
I don't know, Patty. That's a good question. Uh, we did that for about 29 years. You know, we would number off little bobbers one by one, and we would sell tickets in little booklets, and we would have everybody gather, and we'd do a big carnival uh, on the river, and we would uh, throw them down, you know, and see who was the first bobber to the bottom. And then COVID-19 really uh, put a, a kibosh on, on all of that in-person activity. So we opted for this 50-50 lottery, and it really was a great way for us as a charity to, you know, we're small, small staff, and in a, in a not-for-profit environment, there's often so many jobs to do and just not enough bodies to do them. So we really rely so heavily on volunteers, uh, grant funding, donations, just the help and the support of the community, our volunteer board. And um, we can't do it without everybody. We can't do it alone, five or 10 or 15 of us. You know, we need, we need everybody to be on board to keep us going. So the online lottery, we're hoping, is the way to um, make a bigger impact to us being able to continue and we're we're lower this year than we were in the last two years uh, at this point so we want to put the really big push on now in this last like five days or so to get those tickets sold and to drive the, the jackpot up so that the prize will be even bigger for whoever wins and uh, i think we can do it because we usually see towards the end of the last couple of days all those last minute folks who you know tend to put it off to the last minute will be scrambling and as the jackpot climbs you are more inclined to want to get in on it you know the more you realize uh, how big it is and what a great prize it could be what it could mean for somebody you know, a couple thousand dollars uh, would, would really go a long way for a lot of us, especially this year. So we're really hoping that the public will join in and everybody who uses our trails, everybody who believes in what we believe in will will take part and uh, support us. And I think that the payoff will be that the trails are there for everyone to use and that the River Valley is, is well protected and that, mm-hmm. you know, we are able to continue with our beautiful programming for all of our wonderful um, kids and families and adults who, who want to learn more about uh, the environment and, and be a part of protecting it. Thank you, Eleanor. Good luck with it. Okay. Thank you, Patty, for having us on and happy Labor Day weekend to everybody and a safe uh, holiday weekend. You too. Thanks, Elmer. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye bye. Okay. Elmer Power from the Manuel's River Interpretation Centre. Okay, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, remember it wasn't so long ago, Defence Minister Anita Anand was in Labrador. Some good news because Five Wing Goose has been selected at one of the four northern stations to get some modernization regarding NORAD duties. But no commitment to adding any search and rescue, especially air capacity in Labrador. Wally Anderson is a member of the Nazi Vote government. He joins us after this. Don't go away. Oh, welcome back to the program. Well, the good news is that the federal government plans on spending $38.6 billion over 20 years to modernize four northern uh, four northern bases like Five Wing Goose. That's the good news. That's part of Canada's North American Aerospace Defense Command modernization plan. But the folks in Labrador, and I suggest many on the island, were hoping that Defense Minister Anita Anand would also speak to search and rescue capacity in the big land, which is virtually nil. Join us on line number one is Wally Anderson. He's a member of the Nazivut government. Good morning, Wally. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. So, I mean, there's some good news, but the reality is people forever and a day have been talking about the fact that there is virtually zero surgical rescue capacity in Labrador. Your reaction to the minister's visit? Patty, the, the, the announcement of, of monies uh, for, for the, uh, the, the four regions that she, uh, she identified, uh, you know, it, it's a tremendous uh, boost and welcome news for Five Wing Goose Bay. However, the, the big part 
that stays with a lot of people here is uh, ground search and rescue. And I watched a a a, a conference uh, video conference or. Uh, between uh, on June the 20th between Canada and, and the United States, and they talked of uh, the Northwest Passage defense. They talked of uh, uh, threat environment. They talked of missile defense. But at the same time, too, that uh, you know, our people up here, our fishermen, has got to go further and further out to sea. Uh, we got fishermen that's up uh, north of Cape Chidley, and uh, Patty, it, it it comes back to the Burton winters, and and uh, you know. I know the hurt and the pain that the family goes through, and it's not something that you want to talk about, but the truth needs to be told. That when the call went out for the, for, for, for the helicopter, uh, Patty, the people were told, uh, we can't send the chopper up there because we might need the chopper out here. And, uh, you know, uh, that hurts. And, uh, uh, look, uh, for, for the last 30 years, the, the, the federal government has said that Goose Bay, uh, five-wing goose bait is the gateway to the north. And uh, certainly, I think, uh, while we welcome the news, I think we were all disappointed that uh, there was no mention of additional uh, search and rescue uh, units for, 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 uh, for Labrador. It's remarkable. We can talk about Burton Winters. We can talk about the inquiry just uh, chaired by Judge Igliorte. We can talk about the two lads from Mary's Harbor that were lost. We know that this is a really merciless North Atlantic. We know the expansive nature of Labrador itself. And yet, search and rescue kind of falls off the radar for the federal government, and it always has. You know, what was the request? Was it looking for a cormorant to be stationed at five-wing goose or talk about fixed-wing aircraft? What were people in Labrador looking for? Patty, what we're looking for is a full-scale search and rescue unit, uh, similar to what they have in, in, in Gander and in Greenwood. And we are not asking for anything to be taken away from Gander or Greenwood. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're asking, uh, you know, for, for, for the same services because, you know, uh, it's not a want. It's a need. It's a need that we need here to protect all people. And, uh, uh, Patty, I'm hoping uh, very shortly to, to bring forward a, 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 a petition uh, uh, before the Nanusimut Assembly. And uh, I want then I want to circulate to every community in Labrador, and uh, by late February, uh, you know I hope that the three Aboriginal groups can come together on this one because this affects everyone. Look, uh, the Inuit have their problems with the federal and provincial government. Uh, the Inuit. Uh, the same thing, no two, but sure. And sometimes we have our differences with each other. But if we can come together on this one and take the stakeholders, like a, a rep from the Combine Councils, uh, someone from the Goose Bay Airport Cooperation, uh, the town of Happy Valley Goose Bay, and we all go together with a common goal to sit down with the minister to present the petition and, again, outline that, uh, look, this year is a necessity. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I hope we can get that done uh, very shortly. But, uh, Patty, uh, the need, uh, I, I, uh, I talked to the father of, uh, of, uh, who lost his son uh, down Mary's Harbor and, uh, and Master Mariner. And, 
you know, the hurt, uh, it, 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 it never goes away. And, and certainly, I think at the end of the day, that if a, a, a full-scale search and rescue uh, uh, unit can be uh, stationed at a goose bay, that it will give uh, the family of Burton Winters and the two people uh, in Southern Labrador, the families, uh, some comfort that if the call do come, then we know that uh, help is there and it's available and he's right on our doorstep. Yeah, and the boys from Mary's Harbour is Mark Russell and Joy Jenkins. Um, very quickly before we move on to a break here, Wally, I wanted to ask you about some of the stories I've been reading about solar panels and up in the Nazi vote and trying to power up some of the five remote towns. What's happening? Well, uh, Patty, uh, I, I, uh, I'll leave that part now for, for, for uh, the minister uh, that's responsible for that. To, okay. uh, probably you can uh, talk to them on that, uh, and because uh, search and rescue is something that I brought up, and, and, and certainly the minister is there, and certainly the minister can, can certainly, whoever, whatever minister is responsible for that can certainly speak to it. Yeah, I can figure that out. I was just curious because I was interested sure, yeah. to know that, yeah. you know, we've been talking about diesel generation and replacing the, bird, the, uh, the plant that burned down in Charlottetown with another diesel diesel generation. Here we are talking about other alternatives available in this world, including what I think looks like a very good idea for especially some of the community centers with the solar panels, but I'll leave that to the minister responsible. I'd appreciate making time on the search and rescue issue. Would you like to say anything else this morning, Wally? Daddy, I would. Uh, I want to say a, a very special birthday to my mom, Muriel Anderson, who is 105. Uh, you know, she's, uh, she's a remarkable lady. Patty, uh, uh, my dad died when I was seven. Uh, well, there were six children in the family. The, the three girls were the oldest. The three boys were the youngest. And uh, uh, my oldest brother, I think, was nine. I was seven. And my youngest brother was three. And just before dad died, he said to mom, he said, uh, try and keep the boys together. Maybe don't put them up for adoption. And uh, in an article she wrote in them days, she told of the struggles she had. But you said true uh, courage and help, you know, uh, uh, from from God that, uh, you know, she, because there was times she wanted to give up. And uh, she made it through. And she, uh, I'm cooking a, a seal meat for her supper tonight, one of her, her favorite meals. Uh, uh, tomorrow at the Kin Center, we're having a, 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 a big supper for, for her at the, uh, at the Kin Center. And Patty, she'll be sat to the head table with a big smile and she'll, Tell her, her probably her grandchildren what she wants to eat and put it on a plate. And, uh, you know, uh, as any child, uh, you're always proud of your parents. But for her uh, to survive two world wars, two world pandemics, a residential school, and to raise a family. And, Patty, let me finish off by saying this. Never once can I remember me and my brothers going a bit hungry. She's, uh, she's quite a lady. Uh, look, I actually gave her a happy birthday shout-out a bit earlier, and your sister Iris called not long ago as well. So I think that's wonderful. Wally, I didn't know that, realize that was your mother, but the happiest of birthdays to Aunt Muriel. Good to have you on the show this morning, Wally. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the birthday weekend. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So Wally Anderson. He's one of the members Bye-bye. of the Nunatsiavut government. All right, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, Mike Powell from Fort Amherst Healthcare is in the queue, and then it's you. Don't go away. Your VOCM mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number two, say good morning to Mike Powell. He's the president of Fort Amherst Healthcare. Uh, line number two. Morning, Mike. You're on the air. Oh, hey. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing great. How about you? 
fine day. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, there was a, a great event that took place at Bishop's Gardens. There's a partnership between yourself and Task Force NL, welcoming over immigrants with a background in healthcare. Tell us how it went. You know what? It went really well. Um, we've been really focused on immigration for, I guess, a little over a year now. And most of the candidates that we've been finding are folks who are out of country, and we, we help immigrate here. Um, but the folks at Task Force NL helped us understand that there's a real depth of um, quality candidates already in the province um, who are either, you know, healthcare specific in their background, or they're highly in- educated in some other discipline, and um, it's going to take them a year to get in their in their own sort of labor pool. Uh, we met with over a dozen individuals. We made five job offers. Uh, and it was actually very humbling and, and an incredible event, Patty. Well, you know, there's a big conversation about newcomers to the country and fast-tracking or help them get through the paper warfare to be, you know, the accredited healthcare professional as long as they meet the standards and can pass the exams and speak enough English to be uh, part of the healthcare system to get them in there. So give us a specific story about someone you met or a job you were able to offer and fill a gap. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a, a, a pretty common story that we, that we heard is um, I have, uh, you know, I'm just finishing med school, or I was just finishing med school, uh, perhaps in the Ukraine. Uh, when the war broke out, I would otherwise be doing my re- residency, but now I need to figure out how to integrate within the healthcare system. Um, we also met a lot of folks who maybe their partner is, is doing a PhD program at MUN, and they may have a doctorate in some other discipline, um, and they're looking for meaningful work. Perhaps their English isn't the greatest and they're looking to upgrade those skills. Um, But a lot of them are are highly educated people that are just looking for meaningful sort of work that stirs the soul. Um, And that's what led them to us. So, I mean, we found great people with healthcare backgrounds, but we just found a lot of great people in general. And um, considering we've been working so hard to find people that are out of country and to bring them here and how long that takes, um, realizing that, I, like I said, there's a bit of a, a depth to, to a, a, an already qualified candidacy pool here that I think not just us, but a lot of um, other employers have been overlooking, maybe because their English isn't the strongest or maybe because we need to create events like this to be able to, you know, um, work with that community in a meaningful way. Uh, but like I said, for, for ourselves, but I think for other employers, it's, it's a great resource, both Task Force NL, as well as just spending more time focusing on the candidate pool that are already here, perhaps requiring some English as an upgrading, um, but otherwise looking to get into the workforce. I mean, Task Force NL has been working towards these goals for a number of years, so it looks like a pretty natural fit for a partnership. Uh, you know, regarding the learning English, I... I don't know, I don't, not to be too generally broad sweeping, but they want to learn it, and they can. It's remarkable to me how multilingual Europe is anyway, and how quickly they latch on to so many different languages. And the Ukrainians that I have met since they've made their way to this province, they have actively, since their feet hit the ground, actively worked towards improving their English. And I have met one of them that hasn't made great strides in short order. So it's, it's really remarkable, to be honest. No, and like I said, I mean, the, the folks that we're speaking to um, are highly educated. I'd say the, the average person that we spoke to had at least a graduate degree. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, these, these people are, are capable of developing skills quickly. They just need uh, a vehicle to do so. And if you want to work in healthcare, it makes more sense to work in, in our kind of environment and learn language and jargon relevant to that industry, as opposed to, I guess, in other parts of the service sector or other jobs that might be available to them. Um, One of the things that that we're starting up is providing English lessons to our employees, and we're also thinking about how we can subdivide our workflow because, of course, if you think about what we do, 
some parts of the process are, are extremely communicative and, and, you know, require strong English skills. Uh, other parts, um, you know, people who are new to the country can do. And as employers, if we think about ways that we can sort of subdivide that workflow, um, you know, it allows us to create more opportunity for more people. How do your current employees react to this initiative? I mean, many of our current employees are international already. Um, and we've worked very hard, not just at Bishops, but across all of our businesses to build a warm culture um, that's, uh, you know, very accepting of, of folks in general. So I think that our, this is very on brand for um, our organization, but also for the type of people that work with us. Um, so no one was surprised and everybody was supportive. You know, we had, for example, Ukrainian employees who were, you know, developing relationships with the people that we were looking to hire. And perhaps they had, you know, connections to them from, from I guess, overseas. Uh, so I would say that our employee base is putting their arms around um, the community. They just want, you know, to grow the tent. I, I think it's great. I'm glad the event was a success. Now five new people have been hired on. And, you know, there's always going to be contentious stories surrounding newcomers to the country, regardless of where their, uh, their country of origin is. But there are so many good news stories that need to help be part of the conversation. I'm really pleased you made time for the show this morning, Mike. I'm glad it went well. Well, thank you again for uh, giving us a chance to chat about it. And again, just a huge thank you for to Task Force NL because... Um, Again, we've been focusing on this as a business, um, but they're helping us, I guess, uh, look in new and creative ways at the same population that we'd already been looking at for so long. Um, you know, uh, their leadership in this space, and I think helping bridge employers like ourselves with, uh, you know, all kinds of employment opportunities is a, is a really wonderful thing. So a huge thank you to Constanza and her team. Um, and I look forward to chatting to you again in the future. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate your time. Have a nice weekend. See you, Patty. Okay, bye-bye. It's Mike Powell. He's the president of Fort Amherst Healthcare. Okay, 11 o'clock news, right on time. What do you know? Don't go away. Welcome back. Uh, will I go to one, Dave? Okay, let's go. Line number one, Chris, you're on the air. Uh, hello, Patty, a first-time caller. Welcome. Uh, two, two things I got to talk about, and I'm all about Newfoundland and Labrador, all about for kids. But when it comes to listening to radio, and I appreciate everything that you do, you update all the people, both liberals, conservatives, NDP, and whoever you want to be, you, you always look after them. But I don't hear enough ch chat on the bigger picture of WES. And a lot of people in Newfoundland and Labrador do not have a clue what the WES stands for. It could be a box of cereal, for all they know. The World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. And, Patty, I don't know how much you're involved into it, but I did speak to a high liberal who speaks to the premier. What? How, how involved I am in the World Economic Forum? No, no of how much your uh, information you have, uh, oh. have at your access. Okay. On it. So I don't know. I, I, I never hear you talk about it, really. But when I have a fella that's the head of the World Economic Forum, and it's put out publicly on different stations or different things that out of his own mouth as a newscast and say that he's going to come in, and they've already infiltrated the governments of different countries, it worries me. And how these different countries have put people in places, he said, we've already put our people in places and nobody talks about it. And it really worries me. 
Well, a couple of things. I do think, uh, hold on a second, Chris, you asked me about my understanding of the World Economic Forum. Uh, I know a bit about it. I do think some of the conversations surrounding it is really seriously exaggerated, to be blunt, uh, bluntly honest with you. It was first founded in 1971, and the person everyone talks about is Klaus Schwab, right? He's a former professor at the University of Geneva. It's a think tank that's been in place for so long, and now all of a sudden, it's the talk of the infiltration and the one world government. Boy, they're the slowest moving behemoth of all time then. Plus, we've had leaders who are conservative and liberal who have been involved with, have spoken at, and have been members of the World Economic Forum. But now, all of a sudden, based on the whole comment about the Great Reset, that all of a sudden we're going to be answering to a one world government led by Klaus Schwab and his cronies. Like, I just don't quite get it, to be honest. Yeah, so when I see, when you, when you say that uh, he's already been part of a university, there's been graduates. Why, a, why in democracy a liberal government and an NDP government forms, even if the conservatives did it to NDP. I'm still, I'm still pro-democracy, and I want democracy to stay here. But when I see different people that's graduated from his school, his university, which is, and then you have alumni people that's on it, and you can look at all the graduates of this university, those people that don't know it, they should do the research and start looking into all these graduates. You'll start seeing that of all these other countries and all these places are, and all this thing is happening here in the world, that there's people that graduated from this university, from Klaus Schwab, that's put in places. We have Jagmeet Singh. He's part of it. And alumni is Justin Trudeau, Christina Freeland. She's there as well. They're all within the Canadian what, government. What university? All. What university are you talking about? I, I don't know the true name of it. I can't tell you. You just said to me there then that Klaus Schwab was part of a uh, some type of university. It must be a universal university for global leaders. No, it was. he was a business professor at the uh, University okay. of Geneva in Switzerland. Okay, so do you have any idea about uh, uh, Trudeau being part of an alumni, Jagmeet Singh, Christina Freeland, all of them going to the same universities. Have you ever seen that projected anywhere to you? I think Christopher Freeland has gone to several different universities uh, is a Rhodes Scholar. I, I just don't quite understand how a collection of alumni has all of a sudden meant that we're going to erode our sovereignty and we will not be able to make our own but decisions. It, but don't, and it seem alarming, kind of don't it seem alarming to you that if it is alumni, and it is stated that it is there, and all these other countries have people put in place as well. Patty, that's very alarming, the way we're going with an environmental, with our climate zones and everything, how we're all getting linked in. My second part of my question to it okay. would be, I'm going to go into the environmental side. And everyone right now is all pro-environmental, which they should be, because we're looking after our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids. We want them to live the same life that every Newfoundland and Labradorian has lived while we're here. Looking at it now, we are headed down the path, and I've heard it say many times, our kids have lived. But environmental, when an excavator, when an excavator two years or a year and a half ago gets put into a pond, gets put into a river system, changes the flow direction of a river what? and a stream, and don't put down silt screens, they... They listen to the DFO officers and the environmental. They've all come out and looked at it. And each one of those people have deemed that there's nothing done wrong. You mean to tell me I don't even know what we're talking about. Where's this? No, nor, you, nor you wouldn't. I'm, I'm not going to say where it's to, but you would never hear of it. Because in turn...
on that, on that just off with it, internally, someone in the government or the Minister of Environmental or whoever says that command is not looking into it. I've seen, I've got drones flowing over it. There's, there's actually silt mushrooms down at the form of this pond inside communities. And it is happening, and it's not getting reported. So, Chris, so Chris, here I am trying to find out more about what you're concerned with, and you won't even tell me where this is so I can have another look and see what I can find out? No, as a matter of fact, I'm going to do that uh, internally to you as a, as a text to you because I don't know all my regulations and my rules, and I, I'm not prepared to say it on radio because I don't know. Well, send me an email. Correct it. I get us right. I will. Okay. But I am concerned. That's why I'm voicing my, my concerns right here now, that two concerns that I've had, two concerns that I've just brought out to you, and it do, it is very concerning to me. So this stuff do go on behind the scenes, and I'm very concerned. So just to bring it to your knowledge, environmental, we just had a major, major environmental thing happen. Oh. And there's a lot of different a lot of different things that can happen that's happening now with this waterway, with the stream, with the brooks, with the ponds, upper and lower. There's a lot of stuff happening. What does that have to do with World Economic Forum? Anything or Nothing, that was, well, it was only the environmental. I had two issues that I just wanted to get out with you, and which I did. You let me speak by speak, and, I, and I've done it. And I'm just telling you about right now with the environmental, the way that everybody's talking about climate changes and environmental and have this go through a year and a half to two years ago, and nothing has been put, nothing has been changed. The DFO government has come out. The environmental health and safety has come out from town. And they've all said somewhere along the lines, this is not allowed. And I know it's not. Okay, but of course, I, I can't, I, I honestly can't even form a reply because I have no idea what we're talking about. But that's what, that's if you send, wanted, hold on, I, I just wanted, yes, hold I just wanted on. to get my opinion. Your, your opinion on something, but I, I guarantee you no one listening to the show knows what we're talking about about the excavator. So if you send me an email, which I will keep private, I will see what I can find out. Uh, just out of curiosity, you know, people say all the time, well, do your research, which is always, I think, an interesting thing to say to somebody. So where do you get your information where do you get your information specifically regarding the world economic forum do you listen to specific podcasters or blogs or reddits or like where do you get the the information that leads you to believe that the world economic forum is a global tragedy waiting to happen the only way that i get my stuff is when it comes right directly out of the mouth of the person that i'm talking about Klaus Schwab, it came right out of his mouth many times Yes, but like, uh, let me ask you this: Who cares what Klaus Schwab has to say? In the ultimately, like as you say, people have been appointed to or put in place. What? I, I care because of when he actually says that we have infiltrated the governments and half the cabinets, and then I start seeing doing my research on these people that went to schools and and graduated from this global young global leader school. I don't even I don't know what know that is. Of, I don't even know what it is. But they're so, all there, all the graduates, and all of a sudden now they're in these all these countries that's happening all over the world. Like that do concern me. But what, like, what's, what, what's changed? What have any of these? Oh, give me a break. What have any of these alum done to lead you to believe there's some sort of like? What I'm always lost trying to figure this stuff out is, you can't keep a secret these days. But all of a sudden we've got people or politicians elected for the most part in countries, a hundred plus nations around the world, who have been represented at the World Economic Forum, and they've got some sort of strategic strategic plan that no one knows about, other than what we discern from a class 
Schwab says, to implement something that is so complex, and it would be the the the, un, the most unbelievable coordinator behind back the backroom deal of all time. Like the, those types of things, I just kind of can't wrap my mind around. Give me an example of what any of these alum have done in Canada to lead you to believe that there's some skullduggery uh, at play. That you know, the, we're talking about people who were elected, and in this case, just elected a, a year and a half ago. So, what is it that points you down this path where you think it's a problem? In a democracy, yeah. In a democracy, to me, as a mid-aged person, yeah. and I look at democracy as being: you give your views, you vote on it, you vote for the person that you want to represent your views. That's a democracy to me. But when I see a democracy, two people join together to form a majority government to take over a democracy, that's alarming to me. It happens now, all the know, time. Maybe this is maybe maybe it do. Patty, it's wrong to me. Maybe I don't understand democracy. But when I vote democracy. I want democracy. I don't want two parties joining together. And if you get talk to people out in in most of Newfoundland and Labrador that you go in and put your one vote on your check that you vote for, and all of a sudden your person representative joins, you now join with another party. That's I never put two votes on my check. I voted one party only. Yeah, but you only voted in one of 338 federal ridings in the country, and people spoke in all 338. They elected whoever won the most votes, 50% plus one. Consequently, we had a minority government. You know, they vote for both parties? Well, n- nobody is allowed to vote for both parties, so that uh, that question doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But let me put it this way: some were somewhere in the very recent past, we had this exact thing. They didn't come out and have a glossy or glitzy press conference and say we have joined forces. But minority governments in Canada and elsewhere with the West Par- Westminster parliamentary system, they have had mon- minority governments propped up by whoever is in the opposition seats. So it was never a problem when, for instance, with the Conservative government under Stephen Harper, were propped up by the Jack. Clayton Liberal or an NDP party. It wasn't a problem because that's how minority governments work. Because if they don't get support from anybody else, all that happens is they fail at a confidence vote. We go back to the polls and we see what the next outcome will be. So minority governments, there's only one way for them to operate. Minority parliaments. It's either they get some cooperation or no government business gets done and we shut her down and we go back to the polls. So this has happened so repeatedly in our, even in my lifetime that now all of a sudden it's a huge problem because of what? I'm not really sure. So, Patty, in your view, is a democracy, is that right or wrong in your views? Well, it's a minority government. There's only one way for a minority government to operate. Joining parties. That's actually the epitome. It's the essence of democracy, to be honest, because the outcome... Is it right or wrong? Pardon? Is it right or wrong? Democracy. Are you... uh, My vote is my vote, and I vote for my party, and if everybody in my party votes for that party... What? I'm assuming that they don't want to join parties with anybody else, regardless of what it is, or regardless of getting majority government, or majority of getting things passed, or, or whatever. But, but that's my vote. Is it right or wrong? Uh, I don't know exactly what you're wanting me to answer, but... Democracy. Everybody's pro-democracy. I'm pro-democracy. Why wouldn't I be? Of course I am. But if a minority but parliament... Is it right or wrong to join parties? They're not really joined parties. They're cooperating with what they call a supply agreement. It's a coalition. It's whatever when people want to call it. Majority government. When you take over majority government, join parties. Yes. There there's only one. There there's Chris. Chris. Inside democracy, if you have the functioning democracy that we do have, if you look at the numbers of seats in the House of Commons, if you only have a minority of them, there's only one or two ways that it can go. Either you get some, uh, some support from an independence or from the ND 
NDP, in this case, or the Conservatives, then the Parliament will absolutely fall. They will fail their first confidence vote. Generally speaking, that'll be their first budget. And so we just go back to the drawing board. We can have another election. As opposed to, can you, inside democracy, in the essence of democracy, get the people's business done by some sort of cooperation on, bil- on issues and legislation and bills and budgets that are, have consequence? So that is democracy. If they didn't find a willing partner in the NDP, we would have had elected a new government by by now. Would it have been another minority? Probably. That's how the country feels these days. We very much feel like minority parliament is going to be the outcome for many elections to come. So if that's the case, we either have a democracy that functions or we have a head-butting partisan bunch of nuisances who are nothing but power-hungry as opposed to try to get shit, pardon me, try to get stuff done. Yeah, so we the assessments of of democracy. When we're doing our when we're watching the you you're, I'm sorry the the connection is is weak. You're breaking up, Chris. Try it one more time. About, but uh, they're always talking about the minority of the government or the majority of the or if the government's going to get control of the house, a majority government. Yeah. Why even talk about it? Why even talk about having a government that's going to be a minority? And a government's just going to have majority when we already know that outside the facts of, in a democracy that they parties can join any which way they want to, sure they can. to try to get sure. things done. Yeah. So why even talk about it? Like that's to me, that's a that, that's wrong. Well, it could be grandstanding. It could be posturing. It could be optics. It could be whatever. But no one's too call stupid it, to believe. Patty, call it what you want. Call Chris. that what you want. That's not what I what not, not my vision of a mid-aged person in democracy. It's not what I want. And the reason so, why so. I came on, I just wanted to see okay. why you do not talk about it more about the WEF and about that stuff that is going on. It's concerning to a lot of people. And a lot of people, Patty, don't even know what it is. Older folks, if they watch their TVs at home, they'll never hear it. If they listen to it, they'll never hear about Klaus Schwab, WEF, WHO, and everything that's happening. WHO. Uh, uh, you know, but some of these things, maybe they don't hear a whole lot about it because it might not be as concerning to many as it is, uh, obviously, to you. And your concerns are noted. We've had a conversation. Nobody's demeaned you or dismissed you. I just think some oh, of these, the conversations surrounding, like the World Health Organization. I mean, if there wasn't a global entity dealing with health, then I think we'd be just too ridiculous to even to, to talk about whether or not the if he, did, if he didn't cover for china that that president of who did not cover for china for those three months and he denied it and it came out and he was proven wrong that china what did you know about it i do not look at the president of the who with any respect but whatsoever anyone who's done anything like that there's no problem to get rid of people who are not up to the task get rid of the people who have befuddled or lied to us or betrayed us but to pretend that there's not the the need, distinct need, for a global, united overseer of health issues, viruses and otherwise, we would be betraying ourselves. We just would be. So whether or not the right people are in position, we should always talk about that. Whether or not the World Economic Forum is helpful or counterproductive, we can talk about that. But because someone has attended, for instance, look, all of a sudden it's become a big deal, right? Mr. Paul... Yeah, okay, but, 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 okay, okay, Chris, but the fellow who's running for the 
leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, and are quite likely to win it, he has presented and attended the World Economic Forum. Prime Minister Stephen Harper used to sing the praises of the World Economic Forum. It's a think tank. They have no say. That's best. That's pretty much what they do. Can we be concerned if we have ideas that are counterintuitive to our parliamentary democracy, our social democracy that we have in Canada? We can talk about them. The, are the roots of them all uh, laid to bear in Davos, Switzerland? I don't think so. I, I personally don't. I understand your concern. I'll give you the last word before I say goodbye. Okay. All right. Okay. Go right ahead. In your, in your views, yeah. everything that you've seen in your lifetime, and you know a lot more than what I do, but Probably not. looking at democracy, is this the way that democracy is supposed to go? But this is the way it's are always gone. Are you like do parties join? Yes, they do. Well, then why why talk why not talk about that more? Why not talk about having two votes on your ballot? Oh, I so think we, we can, can talk about stuff like that. Yeah, proportional representation, ranked ballots. You know, I think the Trudeau government, when they said this would be the last election, but with first past the post, I think they should have uh, followed through with that particular promise because I think there's a better way to do it. What exactly that is? Ranked ballot, some form of pro- proportional representation, very likely. But that still wouldn't change the fact that if a minority government, a minority parliament was in place, they either get support or they don't. The government falls or they don't. So that's it. Thanks, thanks for chatting me. I'm just going to leave it with a, a couple of good things, good, good words to say. Okay, go I, ahead. I don't think you'll disagree, but I enjoy talking to you today. I always listen to you and I always like different views so that I can try to research whatever I'm going to research. I just hope, somebody said it to me, I hope there's enough good people fighting against the bad people that's lying. Anyway, Patty, have a good day. You too, man. Have a nice weekend. Okay. Bye, Chris. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, the PC member for Placentia West, that's Placentia West Bellevue. That's Jeff Dwyer. He's in the queue. And then it's you. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back. All right, let's go. Line number five. Say good morning to the PC member for Placentia West Bellevue. That's Jeff Dwyer. Good morning, Jeff. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, just, uh, I guess, to start off uh, with you, I just wanted to make a shout out, I guess, to the Marystown Maryland's uh, swim team. It's more like a re- regional swim team. We just uh, participated in the 2022 provincial swim, provincial swim meet. Uh, they brought on a lot of hardware, but uh, I guess the one that I'm most impressed with is that they got uh, voted most spirited team. And, uh, you know, not only uh, the attitude or, I guess, the uh, spirit of the athletes, but it also goes down to the coaches, the organizers, and obviously the family support that the athletes get. And uh, to see the, the town uh, throw a motorcade for them there uh, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, all done by the fire department and stuff like that. It was, uh, it was quite impressive, and I uh, just want to give a shout-out to them today and say congratulations on a, a very successful year after, uh, you know, a couple of years of not knowing uh, which way to turn. So, uh, like I said, that's a bit of a good news story there for sure. I offer them the same congratulations. You know, when you have a team that's got the attitude of good spirit and sportsmanship and the like, you really can weather some athletic storms. It goes a long way to enjoying the entirety of the season, swim season in this case. So, bravo. Good on them. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, it kind of teaches them about adversity. But not only that, it's... uh uh, it's not always about uh, winning. It's about, uh, you know, doing your best and putting your best foot forward. And, you know, to see that uh, from our youth, it certainly uh, shows, you know, kind of gives me a little bit of goosebumps to know that we're raising a, a good generation there for sure. Love it. Um, 
the other thing, I guess, there, one of the, I got a few topics here this morning. Sorry, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, we just got a final decision, I guess. Uh, we appealed the decision on the uh, French immersion program cancellation uh, for kindergarten this year at uh, Sacred Heart Academy. And, uh, you know, I've worked for the last uh, eight to ten months with the parent group uh, to bring these uh, causes forward. I thought we were getting some uh, uh, good headway with the former, former Minister uh, Osborne. Uh, but uh, not quite two weeks, I guess, after the cabinet shuffle, uh, the new education minister uh, decided to uh, just axe the program uh, by, uh, you know, obviously uh, and uh, the recommendation from the NLESD. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I find it to be very uh, troubling for the simple fact that it's such an important program to the Bjorn Peninsula with having such uh, close ties to uh, the French islands of uh, St. Pierre and Miquelon that do a lot of their retail and financial uh, banking and all that kind of stuff. And they have commented to me even to say that, you know, they like the fact that uh, when they go to Marystown, uh, you know, they do... Uh, uh, bump into more people often than not than, uh, you know, that can speak French and, uh, you know, gives them a kind of comfort zone where they do understand what they're dealing with as opposed to, uh, you know, leaving with uh, a bit of a cloudy uh, look. But, you know, this seems to be uh, very little consultation uh, to the people that it was affecting. Uh, you know, it just seems to me to be a little bit of an ivory tower decision uh, by people that would be unaffected by the such decision, this arbitrary decision. So, so know, just for clarification, Jeff, sorry. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Sacred Heart Academy will retain French immersion? No. It's, there won't be, it, it will retain French immersion for people that are already in yeah. the program. But for this year, uh, they're not going to do multi-grading or they're not going to uh, uh, take the students that uh, want to enroll in French immersion into the program based on the fact that they figure uh, um, kindergarten kids need their own teacher uh, and the numbers are just not there. The parent group and everybody around uh, have done everything they can to up the numbers, but I think uh, due to the pandemic, uh, you know, there's probably uh, uh, a little bit of bewilderment maybe because, you know, if we get sent home again to teach our kids from home, then, you know, the propensity of the parents to be able to teach the French uh, might be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, out of their reach type of thing. So uh, that might be the reason for the, uh, the, the shortage in numbers, but... You know, the French immersion program to me, uh, no different than our healthcare system and, and you know, all these uh, uh, tertiary services that are offered are all economic drivers to bring professionals to our area. And I mean, as we see with the public advisory on the uh, U.S. Memorial Hospital this weekend, you know, there seems to be a deterioration of services that, uh, you know, is really. Uh, uh, I, I guess without consultation or, you know, to understand what's going on, that, you know, the people with boots on the ground are really being affected. And uh, a lot of the people that are making these decisions are not those boots on the ground. So, uh, you know, I, I think we can do better through consultation and, and uh, working together, uh, which I felt that uh, myself and uh, the former education minister uh, had a good open dialogue going. And, uh, you know, we we're very forthright with each other. Uh, we're, you know, he was the one that came back from uh, talking to NLESD about going back to uh, up the numbers to uh, 
uh, see if we could get a full class for kindergarten. But unfortunately, uh, the numbers are just not there. And, Got it. you know, if uh, we, we do it now, in, in rural Newfoundland, we do it now, other we do it in English all the time when, when uh, you know, we combine classes and all that kind of stuff. So to say that uh, combining classes or multi-grading are two uh, separate topics, uh, to me, is uh, really just semantics. Well, and it was a short-term solution, too, because the student enrollment numbers, if I understand it correctly, was poor this year but stronger next year so we might have just one kindergarten class of uh, potential French immersion students that get left on the outside looking in it just uh, seems like there could have been a solution found uh, Jeff you said you had a couple you wanted to get to what's next uh, the other one was that uh, something that's come really to the forefront uh, in the last while was uh, uh, elder financial abuse and we've heard more and more stories about elder financial abuse throughout uh, the province and uh, you know elder abuse of any kind is despicable obviously but we frequently hear these stories of financial abuse of elder elders and sometimes it's family members or caregivers or anything like that but sometimes it's just through misinformation so uh, you know every story is difficult and you know my heart goes out to anyone who's experienced the pain of uh, financial abuse uh, and especially our elders uh, one of the things you know an avenue that our government has helped uh, make this kind of uh, be a little bit more understood, I suppose, is that uh, we we just passed in the House the Adult Protection Act, uh, and it was unanimous uh, in in the fall of 2021 here. So, you know, the uh, the Act offers more protection for adults, you know, who face this kind of abuse, uh, which would you know offer more protections for our seniors, despite uh, being passed in legislature. The Act was yet to be implemented. So I'm not sure why it's not uh, been implemented, uh, why there's a delay, and, uh, you know, I'm not stopping the minister from ensuring the act, uh, you know, can get uh, implemented to protect our seniors. Well, I mean, we're going to try to keep it on the front burner or the forefront here on the show. More and more we talk about it, more and more people will understand some protections that they can indeed put in place themselves, amongst themselves and their families, and hopefully those they can trust. Uh, Jeff, I appreciate the time. I'm going to take another call before the break. Thanks for this. Okay, thank you, Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. It's Jeff Dwyer. the PC member for Placentia West Bellevue. Let's go. Line three. Bob Thorne, you're on the air. Hello there, Patty. How you doing, Bob? Uh, not too bad, you know. Uh, uh, a couple of topics there. One is uh, uh, there was an article in the Telegram on July the 23rd about our capelin really attracted to salt beef brine. <laughs> and my answer to that is yes. I used it a couple of times, but then it's like everything else. Uh, you know, if you have a magnet, it's no good if you're too far away from the piece of iron or steel or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So I never did a test, but uh, I gave up that because... I like catching capelin on my spinning rod and reel with uh, oh, a plug at the end of it tapered and three hooks so I could catch uh, capelin uh, 40, 50 feet away, you know, hauling two and three at a time. You know, I only wanted a few capelin anyway, and people were there with uh, cast nets and dip nets, uh, you know, so I just wanted a bit of fun. But brine does work. Uh, but then 
I, I didn't do a test, but this professor is doing a test to see if it works, you know. Okay. Now, the other topic I got is I got this record about 50 or 60 years. It's a 33 and a third RPM long play, unbreakable record, got to be played on a on a record player, and all the great uh, sports figures of the past, their actual sounds and voices are on about the greatest moments in sports. You know, Joe Lewis and Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Jack Dempsey and, uh, you know, all of them and all the great sportcasters of the past, Mel Allen and Grant Rice and Newt, uh, Jesse Owens is on it, Roger Bannister and all them. I don't know what to do with it. I don't want it. I don't have a, a record player, but I was wondering if I gave it to you and maybe you could find out. There may not be too many of them around. It was made for uh, a famous uh, uh, razor company that you know, I guess you know the famous razor that's on the go for a long time. Ooh, Gillette or Schick? Yeah, or right. Gillette. Right. What's the name of the record, Bob? It's called Excerpts from the Greatest Moments in Sports. Actual Sounds and Voices. And, uh, oh, gee, it must mention about about uh, 20 or 30 names. Jack Dempsey, Joe Humphreys, Jim Corbett, Tommy Farr, Clem McCarthy, uh, Joe Lewis, Grantland Rice, Newt, Rockney, Jesse Owens, Bannister, Clem McCarthy, Red Barber, Lou Gehrig. Cool. You know, all them are mentioned on it. Their voices, the actual voices, and the greatest moments in sports, they talk about it, you know? Well, I tell you what, that sounds fascinating. I, I recognize most of those names. Of course, Bannister, the British guy, first uh, guy, first man to eclipse the four-minute mile. Right. Uh, and, I mean, of course, Joe Lewis, famous boxer, Newt Rockney. Notre Dame football coach and on and on the coast. Uh, Lou Gehrig, of course, famous for a variety of reasons, including the getting almost hated as a New York Yankee for beating out the legendary Mickey Mantle in the home run race for that year. Um, okay, 61, 61 home runs is what he's famous for. Bob, I will take that record and I'll find a home for it. Uh, the home for it will be my living room. Yeah, okay, that's, that's fine with me. I'm happy to take maybe, it. Maybe you could play it a bit on, on VOCM for some sport fans. But anyway... Uh, Bob, can I give you something for it? Let's make a trade. What would you like for me to bring you to get that fantastic record? Name it. Oh, I don't know, boy. Uh, maybe uh, oh, a few cartons, fresh syrup. Cooked or anything? Sure. Do you like uh, any rabbit, like kidney, hearts, and livers? You like that kind of stuff? No, I don't go in for the. Okay, because I got a bag of that at the house too. Okay, uh, fresh cow tongues it is. I'll bring you some of those and I'll take the record. Okay, uh, so you will drop here. Give me a shout first. Yeah, oh, of course I'll call you before I come. So the number that you ha- that you give David is the one I can call you on. Yeah, now my cell phone is best. Six nine one five eight five four. Six nine one five eight five four. Got it, Bob. I'll give you a call over the week and I'll pop up. Yes, okay. I'll have it there for you. Thanks a lot, Bob. Good to have you on the show. 
Okay, right. Bye now. Bye up. Bye. Bye. One of my faves. There you go. Final break of the morning. Final break of the week. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. La, 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 la. Line number six. Good morning, Dennis O'Keefe. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Not too bad, I suppose. How you doing? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, three quick points I wanted to make this morning. Patty, uh, maybe about a week or two ago when I called you, somebody responded by wondering what party I might be running for because I'm so active on public issues. And I need to answer that now. And the answer is none. And then that invites the question, well, why are you interested in public issues? And the answer is because I'm interested in the future of Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, I'm not running either, and I'm interested. Yeah, I'm not running either, but I'm interested in public issues. Sure you are. But, uh, Doc, if you had to run for party, which one would it be? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's go to the sugar (laughs) (laughs) tax. Go on. you know, I agree that we probably consume too much uh, sugar, but this tax is punitive, and punitive taxes are never positive. I think if the government really wanted to do something to ensure a healthy diet, they might very well have identified uh, the products that carry too much sugar and reduce the sales tax on those products and encourage people to buy them because they would be cheaper. Uh, going the other way is counterproductive and invites the accusation, and rightly so, that it's a tax grab. Yeah. Look, I, generally speaking, think governments should stay out of picking winners and losers. But if we're yeah. talking about healthy lifestyle, healthy choices, food or otherwise, well, look, for starters, I, if this works, then fine. But it's suspect as to whether or not it will if you look at what's happening in other jurisdictions. I like the model where you go to the manufacturer, give them incentives to lower the sugar content, then the consumer doesn't have a choice. So that makes sense, a bit more sense to me. When you pick healthy alternatives to subsidize or to give tax breaks on or what have you, that also becomes extremely tricky business because the manufacturers of these different drinks, they'll have alternatives that won't be applicable to this tax. But if you go into picking the healthy stuff, man, talk about a lobby with a lot of clout all of a sudden uh, sneaking around Confederation building is who gets to be that product? You know, who gets to be that company that provides so much of that critical mass of so-called healthy options? I get what people mean by that. I totally understand it, but I'm not 100% sure how you do it. Well, I agree. The other thing, Petty, i got to get this in, the green hydrogen project out on the West Coast, it may be great for the province, I don't know, but we need to know before we go down that road. And the environmental assessment needs to be done one piece. Eddie Joyce is right, not three pieces. Baden-Ord environmental assessment was done in one piece. Other environmental assessments in the province, one piece. Why is this separated into three? You know, it invites suspicion. So I'm delighted that you're going to have John Risley on next week and you're going to ask him that question why is it being done this way and who who told you that it was okay to do it that way yeah no problem and and the other point is i go back in time because i'm older and i'm a historian but i remember a very controversial project in the province years ago it was called come by chance and in order to allay public suspicions Joey Smallwood, the premier at the time, invited the proponent of that, of that development, John Shaheen, to come and sit in the House of Assembly and answer questions from the elected members. And I think 
Andrew Shorey needs to say to John Risley, look, this is going to be very, very controversial. We need to have you and maybe Brendan Paddock come in and sit down in the House of Assembly and ask uh, answer questions. Well, hopefully. It can be done a second time. Yeah, sure. I, I think, well, I, I've got plenty of questions for Mr. Risley, like I would for whoever the proponent would be of a, a new to the province, new to the country uh, industry, like the production of green hydrogen. So we'll do the best we can. I'll also give people an opportunity to send me their ideas, what they think I should be broaching with John, but I've got a lot of ideas already, and we haven't even confirmed what day and time he's coming on, but he is coming on. That much well, we know for sure. I'm going to be listening, and I invite the Premier to take that ball and run with it. Have them come in and sit down in the House of Assembly, as Joey Smallwood did. President is there. Answer questions during one session of the House of Assembly. Not a bad idea. And that, in line with what you're going to do, I think is terrific. Appreciate the time, Doc. Have a nice weekend. Thanks, Teddy. You too. All the best. Bye. All right, bye-bye. All right. Well, there you go. A good show today. Uh, someone says, suggesting I should get Bob to donate that brilliant record to BOWR. No. <laughs> All right, big thanks to everyone who supports the program. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again on Tuesday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy long weekend. We'll talk on Tuesday. Bye-bye.